Michael? <웃음> 너무 반갑다. 그동안 얼마나 걱정했는데 괜찮아? 오케이? 아, 예, 예. Good to see you too. Are you alright? Yeah, yeah. I'm it's just I'm fine. And Libby. What happened to them? They were murdered. I've just got born to run by Mike Bloom, which I think is the equivalent of getting Rickrolled here. Uh, I, oh, I thought the, getting DJ Dom was the equivalent of getting Rickrolled. Yeah, I think we called that drink rolled. Drink rolled, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'd give a call this run rolled or something. It's a good runner. Know. It's now officially a good runner here on the Down to Hat. A born, yeah, to a born runner. runner on the Down the Hatch podcast that uh, I guess every penultimate episode recap <laughs> will now have to begin with Born to Run. We'll also we'll, well alternate it, back it, and it, forth each season who has to do a Born to yeah, Run. Yeah, I think that makes sense, though, <laughs> given that we, we figured out last time uh, Born to Run came about that, like, Edward Kitsis and Adam came Horowitz about. are essentially the, the, the setup yeah. guys, right? Like, they wrote basically every penultimate episode, and so I think it makes sense. <laughs> did they write, like, did they write the Born to Run them. parodies as well? <laughs> yeah, actually, I contacted them. You know, since Once Upon a Time came off the air, they've been a little, uh, they've been a little loose in their time. So they said, "All right, let's put yeah. our heads together." And I All said, right. "Boys, if this goes well, you got four That's more great. of these coming That's up great. in your in your It's wheelhouse. nice to know that they're going to get some steady work from us here on Down the Hatch, the Lost Rewatch podcast, where we're talking about every single episode of Lost all the way through. We are at the penultimate episode of season two, three minutes, the Michael Dawson flashback. Uh, this this guy was I don't know if he was born to run. Um, but, uh, he was definitely, uh, some people are going to be the opposite of born thanks to Michael. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with it. What? <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, uh, I, I think he was born to run, but Tom Friendly was born to throw. And unfortunately, <laughs> Michael does not run. No, very far. he does not. He does not. All right. We are talking about three minutes. The last couple of weeks, we have been dealing with, uh, the return of Michael Dawson. Michael killed Anna Lucia. He killed Libby last week on, huh? 
Uh, we didn't get a ton of Michael content. <laughs> didn't get a ton of Michael content. This week we get a ton of Michael content. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we find out that Michael has been compromised. Uh, and this is going to be the story of why. And if we've been a little light on discussing Michael's turn um, we are going to be pretty heavy on it this week. I think we're going we're gonna to go all in on it, and I'm really excited for this one. I think that this is going to be a really, really riveting conversation. Agreed. I think that this might be the most polarizing episode we've covered, maybe outside of Dave. I feel like Dave had a lot of vehement defenders and uh, vehement offenders, I guess it was. And three minutes is in a, a similar camp in that, you know, you have some people, maybe one of us on this podcast, maybe me who thinks this is fine to maybe not such a great episode. And we have other people like the great Fitzy who says this might be the best penultimate episode in lost history. So the spectrum is varied. This is a very interesting episode in a number of ways when it aired. And I think even watching it on a rewatch, especially knowing what we know of the others, it, it really gives a very interesting shade as to like what lost was at that moment and how it's going to pivot into what season three is, which is essentially a season about yeah. the other. Listen, so I love three minutes. I think this is a great episode and I love Harold Perrineau. And I think that his turn as Michael in this episode is heartbreaking. I think that there's a few weaker spots around the edges that prevents this from being an elite episode for me, but I think it's a really great episode of lost. It's obviously not as good as greatest hits, which is the best penultimate episode of lost for sure. I would, I would argue, I again, I'm the, the season four uh, stand on the podcast. I would also maybe put Cabin Fever above this as well. I have a soft spot in my heart. I, I can see the Fever argument. Personally. I can see the argument, but I, I do think that like getting the episode that really contextualizes and explains why Michael uh, is acting the way that he is, and and it doesn't work for everybody. It really works for me. I think that that scene with Walt towards the end of the episode. Uh, it's not three minutes in length. <laughs> no, I believe it's like, a, it's, I think it's like a minute 12 is what someone said. It's about a minute 12. Uh, but I mean, it's because like this clue is like, all right, no, if we let him stay here for three minutes, he's going to tell him everything about the others. Uh, we got to get him out of here. Um, I, I think it is, it is so wrenching that for me, it, um, it does not justify uh, Michael's actions, but it explains them. And I think you really yep. needed that. Uh, and I think the episode accomplishes that in a brilliant way and I think really sets the deck for the finale in a brilliant way as well. With the assistance of Question Mark as well, I think Question Mark and Three Minutes work hand in hand uh, to to get us ready for, for Live Together, Die Alone. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to get into everything. Uh, we've got your feedback to get through. Of course, you can send that our way down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom. Type, before we move forth into the jungle, we want to thank our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. Those are our friends over at Amazon and their new podcast, Prime Video Presents. Obviously, we're here talking about Lost every week, but when we are not on the island, Mike and I are both eyes deep in tons of other TV shows, binging as much as we can, including entire seasons of TV produced by Amazon Originals. And if you're a fan of Amazon's original programming like Upload, The Boys, Hunters, and more, then that's great. But you're only getting half the story if you're stopping there. Because Amazon now has Prime Video Presents, a new podcast with in-depth interviews with award-winning actors and creators as they reveal the real-life inspirations and experiences behind your favorite Amazon Prime shows. You can subscribe now for free wherever you listen. And if you sit through this podcast all the way to the very end, you can get a taste of Prime Video Presents for yourself. 
We have a teaser for the podcast, so make sure you're listening all the way through the end of Down the Hatch this week to check out what Amazon's cooking up on Prime Video Presents. Once again, that's Prime Video Presents. It's available now, and it's podcast produced by Amazon Studios, At Will Media, and Tim Cash. With that said, let's go forth into the jungle. Mike, three minutes, directed by Stephen Williams, written by your boys, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, originally aired May 17, 2006, and it is a Michael Dawson flashback extravaganza, the third episode this season and the third episode overall that takes place with flashbacks on the island. Yes, uh, and I guess this is probably the most, I don't know, the least amount of time between flashbacks and main storylines, right? Because I think Claire's gap was longer. Uh, I think we're only going back 13 days in this, though, I don't know. A lot of interesting production elements uh, in this episode, and one of them is, I don't know if the typographer or the their like license on the font that they usually use for the flashback lower thirds was just gone that week, but starting right here from the white text that says 13 days ago on the bottom of the screen, it has a different font, and it's a little weird well, to me. They, they don't normally do like flashback font. I mean, it's different than the other 48 days. Sure, sure. But I think that that's like messing around with the individuality of, uh, of the show. And I, and I think the thing with the other 48 days is that's being told chronologically. You know, this is still flashing back. And I, I, I don't have a good enough memory for how they play with this in The Brig, uh, which is, I think, probably the closest comparison to this episode is The Brig. Uh, the John Locke episode in season three. We'll have to take note. If we can remember, Mike, we got to do some side-by-side font analysis when we get, when we get mm-hmm. to the brig in season three, because that's another episode where the flashbacks are literally um, going back to you know a few days earlier, telling the side of John Locke's story that we had not seen yet. Both in the case of the other 48 days in maternity leave, I think what they're going for creatively is, uh, is worth expressing differently than they express things here in three minutes. Yeah, but that feels like it's a lack of consistency with your other episode. Like, I don't want it to be like, well, it's a different font, so therefore it's a different mechanic. It just feels to me like, because I feel like there are other times when we've done this before and we've used a similar type of font. I don't mean to harp on I the font. I want to believe just that a- all of your issues with three minutes stem from the font choice. If only. <laughs> okay. If only. All right. Okay, we'll get there. There's like, there's definitely a thing about three minutes that reminds me of a drift, you know, in a very yep. um, to the point where they use a line yes. from a drift, which in I three like, minutes. and I appreciate that. I think that that's great. I think that's a great callback. Um, that that I enjoy very very much. the The aspect of three minutes that I don't love as much is specifically one scene, and it is specifically uh, the reverse side of the hunting party stuff. Yeah, I'm I really am not. And, and it's even like to a certain extent we see some stuff here as we open the episode, but I I really like the idea of the flashbacks, but I agree that I think the Rashomon elements of it all, like we spent 3 episodes doing that already. I don't need to end the season with this is Michael's side of things, especially as you mentioned the hunting party, which we'll get to it. It doesn't bring too much more new information. Maybe unlike this scene where we see, you know, Michael having a conversation with Walt as Yeah, like the go. reverse angle stuff really needs to be pushing things forward if it's going to work for me anyway and uh adrift is a great example of where that really doesn't 
work that well for me, and it's why it's one of the uh, bottom-ranked episodes, not just of Season 2, but of, of Lost so far for us. Um, I think that the stuff that's great about Three Minutes elevates it past that problem, but that problem is definitely present here. Uh, I think uh, mm-hmm. in, in this first scene to a certain degree, but certainly in the scene that uh, mirrors the hunting party is just not my favorite. And I think it's like really there to like push that Alex mystery a little bit more forward. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, it's fine. It's cute, not hot, is that scene. I would say. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into the episode. We begin with a weird flashback font 13 days ago, uh, and we're getting the reverse side of Michael with uh, with Locke asking about the guns, and he's, you know, hushed tones, and Locke's like, hey, why are we whispering? <laughs> why are we using our indoor yeah, voices? I really like that, and uh, I love Michael's on-the-fly excuse. We're already seeing his on-the-fly decision-making. Oh, yeah, Jack's taking a nap. Uh, yeah, which which he was. Again, if you compare it to the hunting party, Jack wakes up to find that uh, John has been locked out. Josh, why does Michael, I mean, obviously, like, Michael's a little frantic right now. I think he has the plan to go, but he hasn't talked with Walt yet, obviously, as to where to go. Why is he looking at Mr. Pake's watch? What 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 is it about time at this point that is like having he must think right that now? there's like a specific time of day that he is able to communicate with Walt would be my bet. Mm, like yeah, a window. Yeah. yeah, I think that that would make sense. Uh, what maybe doesn't make sense is is this Walt actually communicating with him? Uh, I know that there's a lot of debate about that still. Um, if so, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a Do you have a strong opinion on this one way or the other? Right. I, I think we decide on the what Kate dad of it all that like we thought that this would be more interesting and probably makes more sense if it's maybe not like Ben outright, but maybe like, I don't know, you're friendly, you're picket. Hell, even if you're your Miss Clue is the one typing whoever it is, uh, is has like the fastest typing I've ever seen because there's some weird keyboard stuff going on here, too, right? Where he's like banging on the keyboard and there's a hell of a delay from Michael's Ed, and then Walt just sends, like, an entire, like, it's like when you're texting with somebody and they send, like, an entire three-paragraph thought bubble in right. one response, and you're like, okay, how do I how do I respond to that? Uh, I also say Michael, and maybe this shows, like, his age, very proper typist, you know, like, using the, the dashes and using, like, the proper punctuations and everything shows the d- discrepancies between the I also do love that he's just, like, typing gobbledygook uh, on the first, is this yeah. working? Is this working? Uh, but no, I think it's definitely, like, a little bit of a, a boomer version versus millennial uh approach yeah do you use you or the word yeah. you when you're typing to yeah, your son i think that that's really fun uh so he's he's gonna talk he's gonna knock out Locke. he's gonna talk uh with with walt should say he knocks out Locke after he spills over a bunch of bullets michael's got this whole thing down he has the whole he has yeah. the whole routine ready to go he's like he's which, like henry which, gale which, self-owning on a on a pantry right now which then begs the question could he have just done that to anna lucia could he have just done that? Who knows? Who knows? You know, then he still has to figure out how he's going to get Jack and all. I, the, the whole thing is dicey. It's dicey. It's obviously, it's obviously dice, not great. Yeah. It's obviously not great. Uh, so he's going he's to be texting with Walt. <laughs> he's like, all right, <laughs> where do I meet you? Where do I pick you up? Yeah, where, where are you, are you at? at? Uh, he's north. He's, there's this, this uh, huge rock with a big hole Hole big hole in the in middle. The middle. I, I, I didn't realize that the person who wrote the series Bible entries was typing out Walt's responses because they just love random yeah, capitalization yeah, of you things. You said north, north, where uh, is one. <laughs> and my favorite is, I'm ready, coming now. <laughs> 
coming now. Uh, so Michael's gonna go. Then we're gonna get the the continuation of the hunting party scene. Uh, so he's gonna he's gonna have Jack at gunpoint. It's a father's right. No one gets to tell me what to do. He locks Jack up, and we cut back to today, where Michael is outside of the hatch. He's got a piece of paper in his hands, and he's setting it on fire. He's watching it burn. Yeah. Maybe this was burn to run, uh, as he is burning this piece of paper, which, uh, of course, we know has uh, four names on it, and you could see them. You could see them if you if yep. you know what to look for. If you- Listen, for those that were impatient losses at the time, are like, I don't want to. I wouldn't want to find out what the four names are now. You could very easily screenshot it and just reverse the names, and you know who yeah. the four are. Uh, that would be a terrible way to watch this on the first blush. Just watch the episode. Yeah, just like just wait like half an hour. <laughs> Hopefully, if you're showing this to someone for the first time, like get their hands away from the remote when they're tempted to pause at this moment. And be like, it'll be answered in this episode. I know that's not the thing that happens with the loss usually, but this will indeed be typically answered in this not. Episode. All right, so Michael's burning the piece of paper. Jack's going to come outside. He said, "What are you doing out here? I'm just getting some air. Stop hassling me, man." Uh, Jack's going to say, "Come on in. Come inside." Uh, we should talk, he says, and we're going to get uh, like a war council meeting, basically. And we're, let's mm-hmm. listen into this, because I think in a lot of ways, um, this sound, I think, encapsulates the tone of the episode in a really great way. How many? Rifles and pistols, 11 total. That's it? That's it. In case you forgot, they took five of them right off us. How long would it take us to get to their camp? We leave now, move fast. Middle of the night tomorrow. Look, they have no idea I know where they are. They won't be expecting us. So we get the guns and we go right now. Just the five of us. No, no, five's not enough. You said there's at least 20 of them. They've got our guns. And and we're not even sure if what you saw was... Hey, I know what I saw. We take too many people that hear us coming. Not taking a damn army across the island, Jack. Michael, are you sure you're in the best place to be making decisions for all of us right now? You got a son, Jack? They're dead. Lucia and Libby are dead. I mean, we haven't even buried them yet. Me and you will take Libby, okay? Can you? Yeah, of course. Sawyer, would you? Yeah. You should stay here. Bury them tonight, and and we'll figure out what's next. All right, so I... What what you're not getting if you haven't watched the episode in a while is that it ends with Michael staring at the pool of blood from Anna Lucia and Libby on the ground. Yeah, um, and and he'll clean that up soon. So luckily, he maybe he's more so thinking about like, do I put get some Ajax out <laughs> right like, now? Yeah, vinegar. Yeah. How do I do that? Club soda and salt. Uh, no, he. I I love that scene because I think it really speaks to the tension that exists within this episode. Michael's job is not yet done. He now he's he's gotten Ben out of jail he has killed two people in the process he also now needs to convince four people to trek with him across the island 
and uh, basically fall into the trap of the others. Um, But that urgency that's behind that, because the episode is going to express why it feels so urgent to Michael, is in a head-on collision with the emotionality surrounding the deaths of Anna Lucia and especially Libby, as it pertains to Hurley. Um, And it's also... Really summoning us, summoning us down deep into the depths of hell that the hatch represents. That there is now blood on the floor. Uh, that Michael is literally going to be on the ground of this place that we have described and the writers uh, conceptualized as a representation of hell, reflecting you at your worst and the terrible things that you might be willing to do um, or you might be uh, susceptible to succumbing to on this island and in your life in this way that is both going to literally evoke hell in the next sound that we're going to get into in just a few minutes, so we could talk about that more there, but also I think in this way where constantly throughout the episode, Michael is having to bounce between maintaining some facade and the facade, like, literally vomiting out of him. Um, (laughs) And I think this first scene, this first sound that we're listening to, I think really represents that in a good way. Well, that being said, I think it's a great representative. I agree because there are two key core tenets here, right? It's his loyalty to these people that he crashed on an island with and his loyalty ultimately to his son. I think where this episode fails a bit more for me is that it feels like we're just taking this scene and repeating it again and again. Particularly like every Michael Jack scene feels like that exchange of Jack questioning whether Michael's in the right headspace and then Michael replying, you got a son, Jack, which not yet, but he will do in another timeline. We'll save that for a few seasons from now when Michael is long gone. I like this scene as a sequel also to the end of question mark when we have, you know, Libby's dad. Clearly uh, Hurley's sort of like emotional through line is there. He is just furious at this point uh, and just like angry at the world and angry at whoever he thinks did this to her i will also say though michael you know we'll talk about maybe his lying techniques later on in this episode he got super lucky with the people who wound up in the yes, hatch, right yes he has yes. a very easy strategy okay let's just keep it between the five of us that were here right now nobody else needs to know like if another person happened to be there uh then it, it might have been all thrown asunder again we're not sure what would have happened had any additional parties come with michael and these four but he has a like a foolproof strategy at the moment You know what? And I know we're fast forwarding here. Um, So the scene at the end of the episode with Michael and Miss Clue after the three minutes, uh, Miss Clue is going to say to Michael, uh, we need you to do something else after you release our man. And Michael's hysterical and he's going to say whatever you want. And she's going to say, you have to bring four people, only these four people, just them. If you don't bring all the people on our list, you'll never see Walt again. That phrasing, Mike, does that mean he can only bring those four people (laughs) or he just needs to make sure that those four people are there because if those four people are there can't he just be like all right let's all go yeah exactly hey listen i held up my end of the bargain these four people are here it's just four of 40 isn't isn't that the loophole I, I would imagine so, but it's also, again, it's also strange considering that, yes, I, you have to bring these four, but one person's purpose is to immediately get cut loose and run back to everyone saying what happened. You could very easily, like, get everyone, kidnap the three, Sawyer, Jack, and Kate, and be like, everyone, you see the power of us, you see what we can do. Bye, Michael, bye, everyone, we're going. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's a, we'll talk next episode, I think, about, like, the other's true motives. It gets reflected a bit in this episode, but yeah, I do wonder if this was, like, I mean, Mark, 
Michael's going to like bargain a bit for the boat, right? Later on, do you think he could have negotiated some more as yeah, the number like, of people right, allowed in this visit? I don't know how I'm going to get. Ju- can I clarify with you? Do you mean literally <laughs> I can only have those four people with me, or can that be like four out of twelve people that I bring? Because I think I can sell that easier. Uh, yeah, exactly. And especially with like the way that the others are only going to have Hurley there as an ambassador, as a messenger to to send back. Uh, yeah, there probably was a little bit more wait for it wiggle room in that than uh, than maybe Michael. Do you, knew. Do you think could Michael have disguised someone? <laughs> could, they, could, could he have like shaved Jin's head and said, "This is John Locke"? Well, John Locke is not on the list. Sawyer. That's true, actually. You no, know, if Jin straightened his hair, he could say that it was That's Sawyer. Really, really funny. Uh, yeah, this is Sawyer. It's totally Sawyer. He <laughs> has like Anna Lucia as Kate. Uh, yeah, yeah, this exactly. Is Kate. Like, just. Just grab some three, grab three gawkers yeah. that are expendable yeah. and dress them up. Like no, that's good. Sawyer. That would have been the move. That would have been the move for sure. Uh, yeah, Michael screws this up on a lot of levels, and I think we just uh, uh, hit the nail on the head <laughs> of exactly how. Um, also, uh, probably a missed opportunity for Michael is he could have turned these four people into plants. Uh, and mm. just like packed him in his backpack, and you know, yeah, that's a lot easier to bring than in live together dialogue where he has to consistently like convince them to keep. Yeah, walking. why didn't Michael instead of shooting Anna Lucia and Libby, why didn't he just turn them into plants? Mm, that's a good idea. Like, oh guys, I found these plants, yeah. and then they—it's sort of like a Black Mirror esque horror story where they're trapped forever in the corner of the hatch for you know the next few episodes until it explodes, yeah, and they'll have to like silently scream as their murderer gets turn away them stuff. into plants. Turn Henry into a plant. Scoop him up. Go back to the others and be like, all right, well, here's the plan. They're like, what about the other four? Like, I'll go back and get them. And then he goes back and turns them into plants as well and brings them too. I wonder if then the others would be like, you're not going anywhere. We're studying you. Like, get Walt out of room 20. I have thoughts we're, about we're, that. We're, I've got st- thoughts about that. All right. So let's let's keep going. Uh, let's try and be more serious than uh, the ridiculous plant theories. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Michael is surrounded by plants uh, 13 days earlier when he is running through the jungle. Uh, stops for a drink of water. He's checking his compass, uh, and he and the, was this the this is not the Saeed Lock compass, right? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think so. Uh, he comes up upon uh, a man who is peeing. Uh, it's, uh, it's, the, it's picket, yeah. picket. The official introduction of big a-hole energy himself, Danny Pickett, who's going to be one of the, you know, Ben is obviously the big, big bad of season three, but I would say definitely one of the little bads of season three. I hate this guy. Uh, this is uh, Danny Pickett. Uh, I, lo- I-, I love the actor's performance. Uh, he was great as Uncle Jack on Breaking Bad, even though that guy was a terrible person as well. <laughs> uh, this guy's very good at playing very, very bad. Uh, and Pickett like comes across sort of as like a little bit like of a prankster in this episode. See you in the funny pages. But I can't yeah. like I can't look at Pickett without the context of everything else, and he's just a uh, 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 head to toes, heads knees and toes douche. Uh, this guy, uh, and also he's like, do you hear like when he's peeing? Did you hear him like zipping up his fly? Those yeah, I those wonder, theater I, pants have zippers on them because it doesn't look like I, they I, do. I wonder if they consulted with the Dharma costume facility, and they're like, look, I know we have to act like hillbillies, but we're not savages, okay? Like, give us, <laughs> give us some a sort zipper. of opening. Give us a zipper here. Yeah, at least a zipper. But yeah, I also do. I also feel like Pickett doesn't become that much of like a, a true blue a-hole until uh, the glass ballerina when Colleen dies. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember, because we obviously do see him in uh, A Tale of Two Cities, but I can't remember if he goes full a-hole until that moment when he just goes completely He's starting aggro. to. He's still not cool to Sawyer, but then when Colleen dies, it's over. You know, he loses his chill. 
Oh my god, we're so close to finding out more about these others. <laughs> like we're to referring to them by a first I know, name. Colleen. Uh yeah, we're getting we're getting right up to it. So there he is, and Michael's gonna have him at gunpoint, and Pickett's like, Oh, it's Walt's dad. Uh and then Mr. Friendly shows up and there's a big scuffle. <laughs> There's a huge, a huge scuffle because Mr. Friendly just like <laughs> Batman's right up behind Michael. Oh uh, my God. We talked about this so much and God, I, I forget about it. So first, Friendly is just a badass in this episode. Like completely, you know, understandably justifying why for a while, despite Ben saying the guy with the beard, he's not the leader. Like he very much comes across it from what we're seeing. Like he easily wrestles the gun out of Michael's hands. He's the one who throws the bolas and, and, you know, takes michael down by the ankles he has to have the best arm out of like anybody in the in the show right like between the football throwing and this though i will say it's a fun little bit of like production uh tomfoolery when you see they didn't trust mc ganey's throwing abilities like all you see is just him swinging the bola and then it cuts to michael falling out of frame it's like we'll do we'll have those viewers put together the mental math instead of having to time out a shot where michael indeed gets his legs tied up by a pair of bolas thrown by tom i want to uh i want to be a fly on the wall for like the others throwing training program because between Mm -hmm. this and ethan like they're very good at this this is a good skill of theirs well, I wonder if, like, you can only spend so much time, right? There's only so many entertainment options available. Do you think just, these are just the two guys on, like, the Dharma mm-hmm. uh, dart leaderboard? Yeah. And they're like, all right, let's, let's, you know, these guys are our marksmen. Let's sort of, sort of like at the end of season three, how they, they pick their own marksmen from the 815 well, side. I, and others have their so, own sort of specialization. Well, that only works if you're then saying that uh, in, like, the electric darts that are going to be coming up next week in Live Together, Die Alone, like the mm. paralysis darts, that that's just all Mr. Friendly in the jungle. I think so. I can imagine. <laughs> Dude's a badass. Yeah, yeah that's great. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah, just like rapid yeah. fire. Or he may be the teacher. He's like the he's the professor of this art. Um, but no, he he's gonna he's gonna be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too bad we didn't have a Tom Friendly flashback. But I'm pretty sure it would be like that movie Rookie of the oh, Year, I where he broke his arm as a kid year, yeah. and is just like whipping things super fast, and then got recruited by Dharma. Yeah, for it. maybe he is the Rookie of the Year. Uh, <laughs> all grown up time travel man it's possible we don't know yeah i think i think it's possible I think it's possible all right so michael has been captured by the rookie of the year and the rest of the others uh the rest of the squad uh and we're gonna get some continuation of that in a little bit first we go back to the hatch where michael is all alone because uh jack kate sawyer and hurley the people on his list have all vanished and they are bringing the bodies of anna and libby down to the beach and in the meanwhile Michael is here in the hatch, washing up the blood, and I mentioned hell before. Well, hell hath no fury like a dog waiting for you in hell, as uh, as mentioned in this story from Mr. Echo, who shows up after, huh, to give Michael, uh, I don't know, I was going to say some encouragement, more like, hey, I, I basically know what you did, and let me just uh, <laughs> reflect that back onto you. So here's the scene. Hello. I didn't hear you come in, man. I left my shoes outside. They were muddy. Did you find him? Henry? No. I hear you're a priest. Yes. I guess you believe in hell, then. For 
for a brief time, I served in a small parish in England. Every Sunday after Mass, I would see a young boy waiting at the back of the church. And then one day, the boy confessed to me that he had beaten his dog to death with a shovel. And he said the dog had bitten his baby sister on the cheek. And he needed to protect her. And he wanted to know whether he would go to hell for this. I told him that God would understand. That he would be forgiven. As long as he was sorry. But the boy did not care about forgiveness. He was only afraid that if he did go to hell. That dog would be there waiting for him. Yo, so Mr. Echo totally knows Michael killed Anna and Libby, right? Yeah, and I wonder, like, <laughs> like what's for, for what, like, sure. the five minutes he's... Was it from the five minutes he spent in the hatch last episode? Because remember, like, they found Michael, and they found Anna, Lucy, and Libby, and Echo, like, takes one look. He's like, all right, we're going to go into the jungle. So I guess this dude has, you know, observation and deduction skills that rival Sherlock Holmes and being able to just put everything immediately together but i i'd have to imagine so well, he like, he's he spent so much time you know his career was defined by killing people before he was like uh not forced into being a priest but went on to become a priest uh went on to like mm. take on yemi's uh livelihood as his own um so he's been around this stuff for a long time he has seen various versions and has participated in various versions of murder uh, and has probably seen a few people kill their first person before. So I bet he uh, senses Michael's body language is pretty familiar, would be my bet. Yeah, and, I, and there's also a couple moments when, like, I think he's very strategic with, like, when he looks Michael in the eye and when he doesn't. Almost like he's checking in to be like, how does he respond to this story? This is a very, very understated part of the episode. But one of my favorite parts of this episode, Josh, might be how Echo behaves post-question mark where he is, I mean, if we're talking about Breaking Bad, he is imbuing himself with the behaviors of Jack and Locke in the hatch to become its sort of, like, designated uh, representative, albeit for a short amount of time. The first thing I noticed was him walking in saying that he took his shoes off before coming into the hatch, because we know that's what Locke did before he went into the hatch. And later on, we're going to have Echo get a, take a visit to the feelings wall and have his cross be attracted to it, much like Jack's key did. So I do think that's an interesting, for lack of a better term, Echo, that the way these two men discovered the hatch, you know, we talk a lot about how we have the polar opposites of man of science, man of faith, and how Echo was somebody who was always trying to, like, straddle the middle ground from that perspective. I think that's a, a great representative of that yeah. fact, that he's able to take on the qualities of both these guys and how they interact with the hatch. And again, his tenure as hatch operator is going to be super short, but I find the behaviors he engages in can't be coincidental. I think what Echo says to Michael here about about the boy and the dog, shovel boy and the dog, uh, that the boy, it's less about the guilt he feels and more the fear he feels about one day having to reckon with what he did that if he were to yeah. go to hell he would have to he would have to meet the kids i think like uh, to meet the dog i think like in the in the in the moralistic 
uh, theological universe that lost inhabits, where we know that there is some semblance of afterlife, whether it is like the the lobby of the good place and you're waiting to move on to wherever we don't know what that place is, or the ghosts who still linger on the island, which is what Michael is going to become. That is sort mm-hmm. of almost like in its own way, this like self-fulfilling hell, perhaps, of like yeah. Michael doesn't want to move on because he cannot, uh, he's too afraid to face Libby and Anna Lucia to the point like the last time we see Michael on the show in season six as a ghost. What a ridiculous sentence uh, is that he is <laughs> he is going to tell Hurley like if you see Libby tell her I'm sorry like he can't even confront that himself yet. Um, so Michael knows he's damned at this point. And I think Echo is sort of like parroting back to Michael what Michael is already feeling. And, and that is reflected very much in the next scene mm-hmm. we see of Michael bursting out of the hatch into the jungle and dry heaving because he's just overwhelmed with what he's done already. Or he just is like, wow, I was cleaning up blood. That is nasty. You think that's it? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know what the, like, if it's a, if it's like a, a guilt puke, if it's like an overwhelming puke, because obviously people have a, a variety of reasons for puking. Going back to the point you made about, because I do think it's so interesting that Michael's season four storyline is ultimately going to be about him being haunted by the mistakes he made, much like Shovel Boy, right. as you put him. Uh, so I guess the question is, I do wonder if, uh, if Darlton came up with that idea like completely out, off the fly and it happened to coincide with this scene or if they watched this scene came back a year later and was like we want to bring michael in for season four and this would be a good way to yeah, do so. maybe i don't know um but I, I i do think it's fascinating to me it it reeks of guilt i think michael reeks of guilt throughout the entire i mean episode. he now he reeks of puke he reeks of, puke, he reeks of blood he reeks of guilt i i don't think this is a guy who is in any sense lavishing what he did i think this is a guy who saw an opening took it and to some extent like immediately regrets it but has to fully commit to it now yeah it's one of these things of like he dug a hole for himself and he just has to keep digging to a certain point because he feels like he'll finally hit that buried treasure in a manner speaking and the minute he tries to climb out of that hole then he's gonna face trouble like if he feels as long as he keeps facing forward and looking ahead to the immediate future that will sort of blind him to the emotional effects of what he did and that sort of informs his Albeit bordering on annoying sometimes insistence as to it's got to be these four people. It can't be. I'm making the decisions, Jack, not you. You may be the leader, but it's my yeah, son. I, and I want I him think now. He, he's uh, don't care how I want him now. He's breaking at this point. You know, <laughs> oh, he got he's going to get a beat. He's 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 breaking at this point. I think that he is uh, he's he's maintained this lie about what happened to Anna and Libby for probably something like 12 hours at this point. Uh, and that is already like too long to sustain this lie. Uh, it's just like too dark. It's too awful. This isn't who he is fundamentally. It's what he's chosen to do, and it's not really mm-hmm. compatible with his life uh, and his his own ethical code. I think, uh, and so it's like causing him to like be suffocating in the the magnitude of what he's done. Um, but this is like what he's been. This is what he's been driven to do. Uh, this is what he's been driven to do. As far as uh, you want to see your son, and he now has proof positive that his son is alive uh, after yep. a very traumatic ordeal. Um, this is this is how you get him. So he's doubling down. Jack's going to show up. This is when Michael's going to also double down. It's got to be the way I said. You don't get to decide this. It's my son. It's my call. I'm my call. Uh, and he says, it's got to be you. It's got to be me. It's got to be Kate Sawyer Hurley. Anyone else? And we're putting Walt 
in danger, and it's the way it has to be. So Jack says, and that's the way it'll be. Jack really should have known something was up. Jack, right, Jack like, signing off on this and seemingly without any irony, without any plan for subterfuge until Saeed comes up to him, is, in my opinion, a very bad look on Dr. Jack. Yeah, this is a huge lapse in judgment for somebody who's like one of his core tenets has been sort of being he of little faith to a certain extent, right? He's always been the skeptic, whether it's something based on the island or like something based with the people. Jack is just putting, and look, maybe he himself is clouded by like the emotions that Michael must clearly be undergoing. He doesn't even know the half of it, considering that Michael, you know, lied. He doesn't believe that Michael saw Walt at this time. But for Michael to essentially make like, a goddamn ridiculous list of demands and Jack to be like, yes, of course, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to, you know, comply to all your demands, sir, without thinking about like, wow, the squeaky wheel is really aiming for the grease yeah. here. I think something may be happening. It's, it's, it definitely is a lot. Yeah, of for here. sure. And I think like at the very least, like he could be like, all right, then that's the way it'll be. Five minutes later, talking to Saeed, hey, uh, so I think uh, Michael really wants it to be this crew. Could you just like trail us in the jungle with a small army of peeps? That would be great. Yeah. You know, exactly. like anything and then something. It- yeah, exactly. Like, again, uh, it can be us four, but it can also be, like, a plus three tailing mm-hmm. behind. You know, mm-hmm. if Kate was not part of the list, that would be perfect for her, considering what she did in the hunting party, as we're going to find out in a few All right, scenes. so back at the beach, uh, Charlie is going to reunite with Claire and Aaron for the first time <sighs> in a while. Uh, and he's, you know, trying to make uh, small talk. Where's that go? We're building a church. Oh, hi, Aaron. Hey, Aaron, what's going on? And Claire's like, what's going on, Charlie? What's up? Charlie's like, oh, well, I've got this uh, pneumatic injector that I want to give you and the baby. And she's like, oh, amazing. Uh, don't worry. I tested it on myself. There's nothing wrong with it. And it, like, turns into a monster. You know, he does, he does yeah. say, like, he, it's, so it's from the palate. It's the pneumatic injector. It's filled with vaccine yeah. from the palate. He says he's tested it on himself. Mike, throwing out a wild theory, this is why Charlie dies eventually. Charlie, di- Charlie dies eventually because he's injecting himself with this pneumatic injector that we've only seen Desmond also use. Desmond and Charlie are now psychically linked through this weird vaccine thing that they're injecting into their veins, and it's giving Desmond all these weird visions of Charlie dying that aren't actually going to come to pass. He's just hallucinating about this other guy who's on the shared drug, and Charlie never had to die. Uh, he only dies because Charlie made this uh, bad choice to inject himself with the pneumatic injector. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So he, so it's basically that they sort of yes. have like a shared yes. dream, and Charlie happens to be a yes. part of it. And Desmond's and like, I, oh, And I okay. absolutely, with a very serious face, believe this theory. It, I think that's interesting, yeah. and I mean, it would be tragic. I mean, we'll talk in season three about how I mean, maybe some of Desmond's predictions don't necessarily come yeah. true, uh, especially when it comes to the decisions that Charlie's makes, but that would be interesting. Uh, I mean, we're going to see the connection between the two of them, and yeah, to this point, they're the only two characters that we have seen actually use this placebo vaccine, uh, though I don't know. Maybe does Aaron get linked if he does indeed start get using the vaccine yeah, as well? maybe. Maybe that's why he says, I saw Aaron and Claire on the helicopter. <laughs> You're going to die, Yeah, Aaron. he's seeing all sorts of weird shit that's not real. Yeah, so I will say that, you know, the Charlie storyline... From, a, from like, an individual Charlie perspective, I am okay with... I think we'll talk about the scene later on that, like, really helps me reconcile with, essentially, Charlie throughout the latter half of this season. But I'm really not a fan of the Claire stuff. Specifically, I'm not a fan of Claire taking Charlie back. I'll be outright with it. Considering that, yes, it's been 10 episodes, but if you're talking about island time, and considering what Charlie did to her, 
she has all the patience in the world for her to not like scream her face off at him as soon as he moseys on up to the camp. It's like, hey, Aaron, what's up? To, as, as if come across to the fact of like, hey, I didn't try to, you know, drown you several days ago. No, not at all. I'm just good old friendly Charlie. Don't you worry. So we'll get to how Claire acts at the end. But damn, Claire, I'm not I'm not a fan of you this episode. I, I, I get it. And I and I think it is uh, it is certainly more a sin of uh, the writing standpoint. Obviously, if, if we got to assign it to a character, we got to assign it to Claire because she does uh, kind of just like welcome Charlie right back. Um, but I do feel like it's the writers being like, oh, we got to work Charlie back into the good graces of everyone. This isn't really working. Uh, and so they just do it really quickly. They do it. They, they really kind of like yada yada through the reintegration arc uh, for Charlie Pace. And it's not fantastic. I think the scene with him later in the episode is really good. Um, but the, the scene with him here is just sort of like, OK, all right. Yeah, and it's it's also it's a little bit of weird timing because like we've seen like Charlie in drips and drabs, but I feel like since like the fire plus water and the long con one two punch of Dark Charlie, we really haven't had an opportunity to talk about his character too too much. So it does feel a little well, weird in terms get, of timing. He's been like kind of like getting like mentored back to shape by Said uh, during the Henry Gale stuff, sort yeah. of, but like not not in a major variety that I could sort of connect the dots without having to draw some lines of like, okay, this is Charlie's natural growth. It seemed like because the finale is coming and this is the penultimate episode, it was a thing about, okay, let's make sure we sort of tee up a lot of these characters for what's to come in the finale. And Charlie's obviously going to have a larger role to play in the finale with the hatch. So like, let's resolve the Claire stuff here. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, their reconciliation is going to happen somewhat later in the episode, but it's at least going to be cut short for now because they're both going to get distracted by the fact that Michael's back. Michael's here and Sun and Jin are going to get very excited about Michael. It's what you heard at the top of the episode. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I did love the as part of the, the clip, as you mentioned, like all the people in the all the golf. Michael! Like, oh, Michael! 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 Yeah. I didn't realize he was so like pop. I mean, I guess he did build, he the, built raft, the raft. So I guess he is a pretty popular person. But I, I think like that that this scene, which we heard at the top of the podcast is another example uh another great uh ambassador of like the tonal contrast of this episode where there is Mm. a lot of love for michael michael has a lot of goodwill with these people and he's wrestling with this extraordinary guilt of i am unworthy of this i'm betraying you all i have murdered two of you and he's unflinching when he tells sun and Jin about the bodies uh when sun the b-o-d-y-s uh sun's gonna ask who are they says it's Anna Lucia and Libby and she says what happened to them and he says with no question about it he doesn't say who did it but he says yeah they were murdered not a lie not a lie technically I will say though that one of my other uh picking points picket points with this episode is that moment you mentioned when it just cuts over and they're just like digging a hole for the bodies right there with, like, no notice to anybody. I think one of my issues with this episode is, again, I do understand why you want to have a little bit for everyone from 815+, plus, I suppose, considering the two tailies that are left. But this just feels like one of those episodes where, like, nobody is talking to each other. Like, it just feels strange to me, personally, and maybe this speaks to what you talked about last week of, like, and Lucy and Libby sort of not being highly considered in the camp that, you know, the the people that come out of the hatch don't do anyone the luxury of, like, talking about what happened they just like schlep the bodies out plop them onto the ground next to boone and shannon and just start digging a hole it's a weird thing yeah i I just don't think that anyone really uh they're not huge fans you know (laughs) it's like oh it's anna and libby that's crazy what happened i think it's the what happened is the bigger deal for everybody than it happened to them 
Uh, right, but imagine like two bodies just then plopping up down on the beach. Wouldn't that be the thing that you're drawn to besides yeah, I Michael? Think so, but maybe we just don't see that stuff. You know, they just choose not to show us. Yeah, all the gawkers yeah. just run around like, "Holy crap, is that a dead yeah, body?" Yeah, the gawkers are probably. I mean, the the funeral is well attended, Mike. The gawkers, many of them are uh, are going to be seen like traveling to the funeral, but many of them are just there, right? You know, so it's like maybe mm. as soon as they saw the bodies, they didn't leave. <laughs> they just hung yeah, around. It's possible. It's possible. Well, they could have at least helped yes. dig, you freaking gawkers. Yeah. Uh, do we have the room to to dock the gawkers some points this week? Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. We might have to give them an, uh, like a just an invisible honorary LVP there's, point for. There's other LVPs to hand out this week. Uh, all mm-hmm, right, so let's mm-hmm. go back to flashback. Thirteen days ago, in a in a very triggering font for Mike Bloom, uh, <laughs> Michael Dawson, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see the whole uh, the other side of the hunting party of Michael being tied up. He's a spit in Mister Friendly's eye. Mister Friendly has a big laugh about that. Fair's fair. I did take your boy. Don't do it again, though, please. I really don't like it when people spit in my eye. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just the, uh, it's the reverse of this. We're seeing a bunch of the scene from the hunting party again. Uh, this episode, I think is like 46 minutes, something like that, 45 minutes. Um, so a little mm. bit longer. And I think some of that length comes from like the replaying of scenes from the past. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing that Lost does. Lost does this sometimes. Uh, the, I, I think this is the weakest scene of the, of the whole episode. This is like... Alex uh, being more um, out on the show and like we're getting like the uh, bring him in Alex or bring her in Alex and then yeah. there's like you're absolutely right but we're Jack. getting the bring her in Alex and we're we're gonna cut to Alex with Pickett and they like get into like this mini fight of Alex being like Pickett can you do it and Pickett's like no I don't want to do it he called for you she's like please can you do it instead of me but well, Alex yeah, but why does she not want to do it? Like, what? how much indoctrination has she had to the others at this point? Because I guess she's sort of coming across right now as, like, the wild child of the others, right? The one who's like, I'm going to help Claire escape. I don't want to, for some reason, just push Kate out into the middle of the jungle. Like, how much effort is it going to take? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, I, but also the thing that I dislike about it is how it really elongates the scene in, in memory yeah. of, like, bring her out, Alex! Now takes like 20 minutes between bring her out, yeah. Alex, and Kate coming out because Pickett loses rock, paper, scissors against Alex and has to bring Kate out. So like what's happening? It's like 20, 20 minutes of Mr. Friendly and the others and <laughs> Sawyer and Jack and Locke all just standing there being like, so. Yeah, it was actually, it was actually a, a, a first take that got uh, eliminated where he goes like, all right, we'll try uh, this again now, now that we're all set up. It really is a stage production in that in that way. But instead of being in live theater, it more turned out to be like a a film's production where they decided to eliminate that, the, the waiting time to figure out who was going to push Kate out into the middle of the yeah, jungle. Just like tapping their feet, waiting. Mr. Friend is like, so, so none of you really, really none of you have beards, huh? Like you're just not yeah. growing hey, any yet. Uh, you want, you want to see me throw something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys hungry? We got some beans. We can throw a bean feast while we're waiting. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Uh, so yeah, it's, I mean, what else is there to say about that scene? I, you know, it's probably like, it's one of the longest scenes of the episode, and to me, one of the least subst- uh, an episode uh, a scene with one of the the, the least. I can't speak uh, with very little substance. Substantive, I mean, the least re- substantive yeah, you're re- scene. You're rendered speechless from it. It's it's just one of those flashback scenes that like adds absolutely nothing. And considering how a lot of the on island stuff so far has been pretty substantive, in that it's like even the stuff from maternity leave was like, okay, we're understanding what's happening with Claire and the staff. This is just like. Michael was there, 
and Alex is they're just very pushing the Alex thing because they're like, all right, we've introduced Alex now. Here's a little bit more. We're just pushing the Alex thing a little bit further. Yeah, but you could also be like, if I told you, if we're doing like, a, if this is true, what else is true? And I told you, hey, uh, Alex is in a situation where she's told to do something. You'd probably say, oh yeah, she doesn't do it because we've already seen that from her in maternity leave. So it's not like we found any new correct, information correct. from Alex. It's just more so that like she just keeps on she keeping keeps on. on keeping on, as Mike Bloom loves to say. Um, yeah, is that do I is that is that one Isn't of my phrases? That what you always say on the B and B when you come back from an ad break. Oh, yeah, I guess I do. I guess keep on keeping on is one of my things. Should I get that as yeah, a tattoo? Yeah, I think so, on your forehead. There we go. So everyone yeah, will always everyone know. Will always know. Uh, so we get out of that scene, and Michael's on the beach with Vincent. There's not a lot to this other than it's just... I think Vincent, Vincent finally has, like, a tried-and-true owner for, like, a hot second after Shannon died and, like, nobody took up... Uh, I the feel like Vincent's not very judgy because we know that Vincent has like this, you know, sixth or maybe even a seventh sense uh, where where Vincent knows he definitely has the fourth force where Vincent knows when someone needs him. <laughs> uh, and so Vincent's here with Michael, loves Michael. And you got to imagine Vincent's like, oh, so you killed these guys, huh? It's not great, dad. But, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, it's gonna be pretty rough for you for a while, but I'll hang. I'll yeah, I'll well, hang out. But uh, I'm gonna go help Charlie with his. Yeah, drug I don't think problem. I'm gonna stick around for too long. But like you know, listen, tough days ahead, my friend. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be <laughs> gonna be hard. Yeah, listen, you better hope you're not waiting for me yeah. in hell. Oh <laughs> no, Vincent will never go to hell. Vincent's alive forever. Hurley made it so uh, in in the future mm-hmm. timeline. All right, so Sawyer and Jack are gonna go through the tent. Uh, Sawyer's gonna start day drinking. Yeah, and I guess, so, where did he, because we're going to see, obviously, like, Juliet housing a big bottle, and Desmond has, obviously houses his own bottle. Do, do we think that this handle was available in the hatch? Because otherwise, we've only seen Sawyer drink the mini bottles from the, from the airline. I would guess card. so. I would, that would make sense. Uh, it would make sense that this is just uh, Dharma Supply uh, or something that, like, Kelvin or Desmond snuck on from their boat uh, at the start of this. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, he's got... Or maybe it's, I, I would imagine it's actually, I mean, no, it makes sense it's part of the pallet drop, right? Because last episode, or two episodes ago, we found out that there was wine yeah, in the exactly. pallet drop that Rosa Bernard exactly. took. So. so he's he's boozing it up. He wants to know what was going on with Jack and Freckles in the jungle. This is where we get it introduced. We were caught in a net, says Jack says. And Sawyer's like, oh, that's what they're calling it these days. Sawyer very much misinterprets it. And he's going to he's gonna bring it up again later. We'll listen in on that, and I will just let the record reflect. Jack never really corrects him. And I think Jack figures out that Sawyer <laughs> thinks uh, we were caught in a net means uh, bumping uglies. Uh, and uh, Jack's just like, going to let that interpretation lie on the field. And this is another reason why maybe three minutes pairs interestingly with question mark is because Sawyer did this exact same thing to Kate last episode, right? And you could tell it's just so stuck in his craw. Like, Juliet has not come into the picture yet, so this is like the apothesis of his focus the epicenter of his focus that he is just so concerned that he has to act all party ask all parties involved like well what is it so it's not him gossiping i think he is just like truly desperate to find out if she indeed you know if he lost out on this side of the the love triangle and so far he thinks he did uh so they are going to then uh talk with saeed saeed wants to know what's going on uh sawyer's gonna recruit saeed to the mission jack says nope you're not allowed to come. Michael doesn't want you going. He knows where we're going. It's his call. And Syed's like, excuse me? 
Also, uh, sad that Saeed only found out just now. I mean, I guess like a day or so has passed, but like, sucks that he had to find out in this way that Ben escaped, right? Considering how, and Michael's going to accuse him of, of him being too emotionally linked with the Henry Gale of it all. And I cannot imagine like the just downtroddenness of Saeed's mood when he finds out that Henry Gale ended yeah, up Yeah, I don't escaping. think he's thrilled about any of this. He's probably upset. He's upset. He doesn't like any of it. Um, and I think he especially doesn't like that Jack's like, wait. Are you seriously not going to bring me? I'm Saidra. I don't know if you know. I'm definitely the guy that you call. Uh, yeah, no Sawyer makes the one of the points of the episode. It's not his call, Jack. It's yeah, ours. Yeah. So uh, Said is getting a gun, and Sawyer's uh, overstepping Jack here. Uh, good call from Sawyer here. Points for Sawyer. Uh, points docked from the dock. Back at the hatch, uh, Mr. Echo. Have you ever seen anyone so happy to type in the numbers? Uh, I'm, I mean, thank God he's there, because it really does seem like... And here's another thing why, like, the communication thing is weird this episode, is because Jack and his group, like, because Echo and Locke left, you know, before and didn't show back up until they left the hatch, they have no idea where Locke and Echo are. And so did they just leave thinking, like... Well, I guess Michael will put the numbers yeah. in. Like, they just completely entrusted either him or the return of Locke and Echo to type in the numbers. And from that perspective, good on Echo in many ways for keep on keeping on, to use, I guess, one of my catchphrases, with pressing the pressing the button and putting the numbers in, because he is quite literally saving the world when everyone else has other concerns to He knows to what with. to do. This is his whole thing. He's here, to, he's here to push the button. So he's there, he pushes the button, he's very smiled when the numbers restore, and when the numbers restore... Somebody walks in, and I just want you to hear what this person has to say really quickly. So, you wake up in the middle of the night, you grab your Jesus stick, and race off into the jungle. You don't call. You don't write. He's just Bernard lying, you bitch! He's straight up lifting Bernard's joke, and it is the first of two times that he'll do it! Wow, just when I thought Charlie was redeeming himself in this episode... We still has a moment where he's a total scumbag and steals someone's joke without this, giving them permission. Plagiarism! Is it plagiarism? To the same person, yeah. too. Like, he's not trying out the new joke on somebody else like you might think. He's going to the exact same person and just repeating the same thing Echo Heard said to him, like, three days yeah, ago. And I was like, isn't that Bernard's line? Because uh, he, like, probably heard that a lot during his time with Bernard traveling around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of Bernard's thing of, you like, call, it's, sort of his penny, it's, it's, it's sort of his penny for your thoughts. Right, or his keep on keeping yeah. on is you don't call, you don't yeah. write. Bernard is like the only person who is thrilled when Charlie dies. He's like, oh, thank God. That guy just kept ripping off my line. Yeah, yeah, freaking joke stealer yeah, is finally dead. Joke theft. It's no good. Uh, but Mr. Echo, I I love Echo in this episode, and this is one of my favorite things. It's like, so Charlie, uh, I was hoping you'd do me this solid of going back to camp, getting all of my shit, and bringing it here for me. And Charlie's like, excuse me? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to move in here. Uh, what about the church? Yeah, the church wasn't really a thing. This is the spot. And Charlie's like, screw you, dude. Lame. Yeah. He wants nothing to do with it's that. An, it. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, this really is a huge pivot from Echo. He goes out into the jungle once and comes back, and he is literally changing faiths here, Josh. Yeah. His devotion to the church, he's found a new church 
in the hatch. He says, I'm supposed to be doing something different now. And I do feel Charlie a bit here as well, because again, as maybe downplayed as Charlie's recovery has been, and especially his relationship with Echo, I think he sort of sees Echo, if we're talking about it from an addiction perspective, he's sort of like his sponsor, right? He's been the guy that sort of has helped him through, and I guess using the faith as well to have Charlie sort of reconnect with that and come back around to not becoming that person that was existing in Fire Plus Water. And so it is a bit like Echo pulling the rug out from under Charlie, but also saying, hey, can you pull the rug out from your own feet and then please bring me the rug because I will need it for my new home in the hatch. It's <laughs> just very, very funny. And Charlie's like, no way, dude. Uh, you better go leg it, mate. The clock's ticking. Go pack yourself. Uh, pack your things and go. Um, Michael was packing mangoes back at the beach, and this is when Sawyer shows up and says, hey, I just told Saeed about the plan, and Michael does not like that. And Sawyer does not like that. Michael does not like that. It's like, if we're going to war, do we not want the one guy who has actually been in a war? Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, Michael is finally going to be like, all right, fine. Okay. Oh, God. Now another thing I'm going to have to unravel. Uh, yeah, do we do we think that, I mean, Josh, obviously you and I, as, as people who have studied Survivor so many times, we know, like, the way to react to a plan when you don't, when it's not going your way. Was was Michael wearing his heart on his sleeve too much and, like, very much, you know, overreacting when hearing that Saeed is, is going to be he a come He just killed two here. people. Cut the guy some slack. <laughs> not really, but, like, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. <laughs> a tiny bit just of Just give slack. him a break, man. He just murdered people. Uh, he's having a hard time keeping it all together uh no michael is uh yeah, yeah he's just cracking it's it's not going well it's mm-hmm, all you know mm-hmm. every like th- this house of cards which is so delicate as it stands is already starting to to come apart um so that's the big problem we get uh another flashback it's 11 days ago so for two days michael was being dragged around around the island by mr friendly and his gang uh and uh they he's not thrilled about it and they finally get to like the seaside village uh the hole! Yeah, we see the hole in the wall. We see uh, all of these tents, these people with dried fish. The description that Michael gave uh, to, to Jack and everybody in Two for the Road turns out to be uh, turns out to be nice. I mean, it's pretty accurate, right? I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of age-shaming to be like, it's only old people sure, and women. That, like, that, the, the people guarding the door look pretty youngish. Danny Pickett is not but he's, old. But he's, you know, more or less describing the circumstances, right? Like, it seems like it is not, like, a situation that we wouldn't be able to handle. Uh, like, it does feel like hmm. maybe we could take him. Like, I do feel like the full weight of 815 being thrown if at this group if this was the others i do think 815 could take them but this is not the the whole group of the others and i wonder is this literally just like a dummy village is this just here uh as like maybe like even literally it's like psyops like it's literally here uh as like a prison to mess with anybody that they have to bring over this way Uh, like walt's not here it's why it takes like eight days at least uh for for walt to show up because walt's not even at this spot i yeah i mean i think that's confirmed in the next episode when it's completely abandoned and the fact that the door which is being guarded is a broom closet uh i think that's that is a perfect microcosm is the fact that it is the man behind the curtain right it's the giant scary green head but behind it is is the complete uh, it is the complete opposite it's very clear that i think they almost have like a staging it's like a model house where it's like, okay, we really got to present ourselves as the big hillbilly, so let's sort of outfit ourselves and come to this village where we all live. It's, I don't know when in the process of Ben being the leader that this was set up, or maybe this was like a leftover from the Hostiles era of it all, but I very much think that this is just a set 
that they have people inhabit for like a week and a half to make Michael truly believe this is what yeah, the Yeah, I think are that, like. that that seems right to me. I mean, I think it could be something that they can like they can like set up and and you know, dismantle with some ease. Uh It's like a pop-up. It's like up a pop-up. <laughs> Remember those? <laughs> it is like that. It's a lot like that. Uh I think it's pretty much the the deal. We're going to have uh see on the funny pages after uh after Pickett takes a uh takes a blood sample from Michael. My theory here is that the Michael blood sample is because they know that he could turn into plants, and so they want mm. to study that ability. And it's interesting. I don't know. I had blood recently taken. I'm surprised that he was just able to just stick the needle right in his arm and not, like, go for a vein or yeah, anything. Yeah, well, uh, that's Pickett's superpower, is he's just got, like, a uh, great vein aim. <laughs> oh, God. Just the odd superpowers that these people have accrued between Mr. Friendly's throwing arm and Danny Pickett's ability. He's the perfect phlebotomist. He can find any vein anytime. He is the, the king of phlebotomy. Um, we are going to meet Miss Clue, who I love. I love Miss Clue. I I love her, but also she's like a great, unfortunate representative of just what the hell was she doing and there. I wish know, the show character. did more with her. I do. Th- it must be like a scheduling thing. That would be my hope, at least. Yeah. To the. To, I, I mean, I was reading up on Miss Clue. Apparently, she was supposed to die in the glass ballerina instead of the aforementioned oh, Colleen. So, so maybe she was not supposed to be long for this world. But yeah, I mean, this is yet another smokescreen of a person. We think, okay, Mr. Friendly's not the person in charge. Wait a minute. Could this woman, Miss Clue, be in charge? Her name is literally Clue. Right. Is that a Clue? Yeah, and I, I just think that she does a really good job. Uh, April Grace uh, is the actress who plays this character. Uh, and uh, there's just like the way that like she's like staring into Michael's soul, asking him all of these questions that are obviously very triggering to him as it pertains to Adrift. And I do think if there was any retroactive defense of Adrift, it is, I guess, somewhat similar to the upcoming defense that I'll have for some episodes in season three, um, that I think it's a setup episode, that it gets, it, it's like, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a body of work that helps you understand where Michael is coming from, uh, from an emotional space. I don't think it's too mm. much, uh, I don't think it's additive in the way, I don't think it's additive to special in the way that I think Stranger in a Strange Land, which is the episode I'll defend to a certain, uh, a certain <laughs> extent. Uh, <laughs> operative word certain extent uh, in that like it's such an outlier for Jack that I think it helps trick your mind into accepting that the flash forward might be a flashback in uh, in through the looking glass here I think like mm-hmm. in special like you already got a lot of like the pain that Michael went through as a father for Walt a, a right. drift reminded you of that um, and it does give you that line uh, for someone who wants his son back so badly, you don't seem to know much about him, Michael, uh, is ripped straight from that episode, right? Uh, and Miss Clue says it to yeah. him here as well after she's asking him question after question after question, um, bringing up the fact— Including the including the, yeah, the question, did Walt ever appear mm-hmm. in a place he wasn't supposed to right, be? Right, 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 right. Uh, we'll never really know why he does it, but he does it. Yeah, and I, it's interesting, you know, that line, because I think in one perspective, it's obviously thematic, as you mentioned, though I do agree that I don't think it makes a drift look better in that perspective, especially the flashbacks, because like we said, it's repetitive knowing what we know about, hey, he didn't know Walt, but he still wanted him because he was his son. Or it could be a thing where we know that the others have so much intel on these people. Could she have, like, gotten recordings from their custody hearings and was purposely yeah. throwing in that exact quote to trigger That's him? totally possible. Uh, yeah, but in which case, like, good on Miss Clue for like really pushing those buttons. Miss you know? Clue rocks Michael in this episode. You know, in mm-hmm, the in the mm-hmm. same way that like 
I praise Ethan Rom for the efficiency with which he does bad things. Miss Clue does very bad things in this episode in hyper-efficient ways. Uh, Miss Clue is a rock star as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that, again, if she, as a front face as the others at this point, obviously in lieu of Ben's absence, she does a good job of, like, commanding the authority. And she, like... The only time she really flinches is when Walt mentions the room. So maybe that's like the one weakness, right, is that she did not mitigate him enough to have him give away some of the other secrets. But and it's another thing that makes me, again, sad that we really don't find out that much about her as a person. We'll see her next episode. And then I think we'll see her what in like enter seven, seven when she dies. And that's pretty much it. it. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's unfortunately like unmissed potential and i this is a little different to me than like the waltz powers thing just because she seemed like such an interesting character and rather than it sort of being like a game changer to the mythos like the waltz stuff was it would have been nice to see her you know as part of that gang of others that we get to know oh so well on a first name basis yeah i mean i i get it uh to a certain degree of like uh it's you're waiting for miss clue to return and then she does and then she's killed and that's surprising um and that's effective and i think it is effective in enter 77 and it makes that moment really dramatic and good um i just wish i wish we'd gotten more of her like i i I think that there was opportunity there uh that that was absolutely missed um so one one of the whiffs of lost there aren't uh, a crazy amount of them as far as i'm concerned but they certainly exist and i think the potential that they had with miss clue is is definitely one that they dropped the ball on um let's go back to to michael in the present yeah, which they also, this is the only time I believe, Josh, that they decide to put today in the lower Oh, is that third. right? <laughs> I, yeah, which, why? Why in the middle of the episode, one time, do you choose I to do just, that? I just love the ways in which like this episode's structure is messing with you so hard. It's so it's weird. Today. <laughs> like, it's so strange to like, use the flashback drum. You know, that's a perfect audio signifier. We don't need like a reminder that it's today. And if you do, be consistent and do it all the other times we flash back. For some reason, they thought the audience would be super confused by the fact that Michael was somewhere else 11 days ago and is now here in a yeah, different now place. We, well, What's the yeah, purpose of he's, it? He's moving all over the island. So we go back to today. Michael has heard that Saeed is coming. He knows he has to defuse this, or at least he thinks he has to defuse this. We don't know. Maybe Saeed could have come. It's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Um, but he, or yeah, I think Michael could have very easily just been like, "Hey, I know you want to go, but here's a good idea. Like, set up a few paces back, just in case we get, I don't know, ambushed or something by the others. You can go run back and tell everybody. Like, that's a very easy thing to sell him on. Instead." He doubles down. I decide who stays and who goes, and you stay. I know you want to help, but I got to do this my way. Well, let's hear that conversation that actually happens because, in the space of a single conversation, Saeed Jarab becomes an MVP leader of this episode. Hey, you're not coming. Welcome back, Michael. Look, I know Sawyer told you, all right, but uh, it's not going to work. You're not coming. And why is it that I'm not coming? Because you're going after the guy who escaped, and I'm going after my son. Are you implying I let a desire for revenge compromise Walt's safety? I'm implying that I decide who stays and who goes, and you stay. I know you want to help, right? But I got to do this my way.
Good luck, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Saeed does the whole like he he shakes his hand with both hands, and I do think that second Checking hand coming pulse, around is sort of like, like yeah. The, yeah, like yeah, the B, the BS detector is just blaring because yeah, I mean again, this is the lady doth protest too much that Michael is just so adamant about like listen, I know on paper you have the great skills, but you can't go because you're too emotionally motivated for right. revenge, which contrasts so heavily to when he approaches Hurley and convinces him to go by saying, well, you want to get revenge, don't you? It's one of these things where, like, again, going back to a reality TV staple, if these people compare notes, Michael, you are screwed because you just used, you know, a reason for Saeed not to go as a reason for Hurley to go. So he he really is floundering at this point, though you do, you know, you do point out that there is sort of, like, a psychological motivation to Oh, that. yeah! There's a, you don't have to like it. You don't have to approve of what Michael has done, but Michael's going through a lot right now. Uh, there is a mm-hmm. lot happening internally with this guy. He just murdered people, and murder is not something that comes to this guy naturally, which is an, ultimately a, a, a mark... A positive mark for him, but he still he <laughs> yeah. still did the things. He did the things, and he'll never be able to undo them. Um, but like this, all of this fallout from it. You know, you could pull the trigger, but like, can you live with what you've done? Um, he's having a very hard time living with what he's done, uh, both like emotionally, but also practically. Uh, he is like having a hard time keeping stories straight. He's lying to people. He's being seen through, probably by Echo, but certainly um, by Saeed here. Because um, these are professionals in this arena. These are people who are used to this arena. Certainly Saeed uh, has, uh, mm-hmm. has interrogated harsher soldiers than Michael. You know, like more battle-tested people than Michael. Um, and... Yeah, we, we saw that in, in one of them, right? Like, he had to interrogate this guy that refused to relent. Uh, and, you know, he did so by getting blood on his hands. Like, friend or foe, he will it's, do what needs to be done to get the truth out of a person. It's why I really love this scene, because it's it's Saeed, the human lie detector. But there's also such, uh, you know, we, we talk about Saeed as one of the most romantic characters on Lost. And I think one of the things that is great about Saeed is... Um, when he's a really empathetic character, which doesn't happen all the time, but happens a lot where like he really tries to like sit and listen to a story or sit and get to know you. Um, or he's gotten to know you. And so he trusts you uh, enough to share with you. I know you and I disagree about the end of one of them, whether it's Charlie or Claire. Uh, but I love that idea that like, he feels like he can trust that Charlie and he have this shared experience. And so he can open up to Charlie about that. I think there's this, there's this moment where Saeed is looking at Michael as he's taking his hand even before he takes his hand where he's like, after Michael said, I have to do this my way, that Saeed's brow is furrowed and he's like studying Michael's mm-hmm. face and it's all clicking there, right there. And it's not just like the logical connection of like, oh, this guy's lying to me. It's also like the sorrow of, oh man, <laughs> they turned Michael. Uh, we got to now mm, work against yeah. Michael. That sucks. Uh, and I think like it's even when he says, good luck, Michael. Like, I don't think it's not earnest. I think now it's like, ah, good luck, Michael. You've buried yourself into a hole, and I'm going to have to keep you there. Um, like that is that's what's going on here. And I think it's like it's 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 bitter disappointment on a few different levels, but it's also unburying the truth in this moment. Yeah, and I think yeah, there, there's disappointment there. And I one thing I will also say is like you know I understand why this episode also tees off them immediately going on the journey. I kind of wish we had, I don't know, maybe one more episode somehow to like sit in this 
just because it does also feel very quick that, you know, Saeed does have this plan to eventually go around the island. But, like, I would have loved to see more Investigator Saeed to that perspective. It, 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 what you're saying really is a, is a great emotionally resonant point for Saeed that I would have loved to see more of. This is a guy who very has, like, very unique circumstances in that he sort of knows that Michael's lying, but also sees his situation, but also has remorse for the fact that he's he's been turned and he knows it. Unlike someone like Echo, who really doesn't have that much of a connection to Michael, Saeed does. He's that bleeding heart. And so maybe Saeed is the character that, that we could have used more of in this episode, because he's going to, you know, go off in a boat and, and go on his own little journey that it, it would have been nice to see him sort of emotionally reconcile this as well, uh, despite knowing that this is sort of business as usual for what he's All right, used so to. Charlie is uh, he's back on the beach. He's solo building this church for only a time, though, because Vincent's going to show up to throw him off. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, by the way, I got heroin. Uh, and I love Charlie's like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, seriously, out of all this, like, I was trying to mack on Claire that I got cocked oh by gosh. Michael. Echo walked out on me, or I walked out on Echo, wherever you put it. And now you're bringing me heroin, dog? Yeah, uh, yeah it's not great. Uh, but at least Charlie is going to... Uh, He's going to he's going to do the thing here where he's going to throw all of the statues in the ocean. And it's the end of Charlie's heroin storyline. It's the end of Charlie having to uh, to wrestle with the heroin demons. And like, yeah, maybe it would have been nice to keep those for the people who may need them for medical supplies at some point in time. But at the same point, there is something very, very powerful about throwing away your addictive uh, your 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 addictions. Especially when you have a throw to rival Mr. You know? Friendly. Like, he tosses them far. And I, the, the, the thing that makes me question retroactively, though, is, so why didn't Charlie do this sooner? Right? Like, when Sawyer, because he obviously knew, I guess, from Sawyer, like, where his stash of heroin was. Like, why did he not do this after the events of Fire Plus Water and the Long Con? And I guess my two thoughts are either, one, he was so at rock bottom that he was legitimately considering yeah. using yeah. again. Or B... That this big question that we had over Fire Plus Water of was Charlie using or not, it was the former, uh, and that he wanted to keep them around to obviously feed his habit. And only now, when he feels truly clean, does he Well, I think at at the very least, I don't think he was using, but I I think at the very least, it is that first thing of things are so bad right now. and even even before fire plus water, he's hoarding the stuff, and so it's 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 yep. it's well, I feel safer knowing that it's here, uh, which again, a very relatable bit of behavior uh, for somebody who deals with yeah. this stuff. Um, and I think like he is now at a place where he feels like I don't need it, I don't need it. I'm building a church. I trust myself again. <laughs> uh, you know, I trust in my ability to to live without it. Um, and it, so it's very symbolic, and he's just, like, having this burst of motivation to do the thing um, and, like, yeah. having this burst of, of courage to do the thing. And, yeah, would it be great if he could just, like, go to Jack and be like, hey, you might need these. Um, sure. But if he also can just, like, clear it from existence, make sure it's gone forever, that is also an option uh, that he may want to pursue. Yeah. It's Hurley and Libby dumping out the food, right? Just in a less utilitarian perspective where there's not a bunch of junkies on the beach wanting heroin and needing heroin. It, but it's this idea of, like, 
personifying your demons and like cathartically getting rid of them. And I think it's cathartic for us as well. I think we're both, you know, joining the throngs of people that are not a big fan of the Charlie seasons two stuff and how he's still fighting that demon of heroin after seemingly conquering it in season one. Uh, but this at least serves as a way to be for the show to be like, we're officially done with that now. I know we showed, you know, Charlie staring at it during Exodus, but now this thing is officially done. We are done with fire plus water, but now, unfortunately, he's injected himself and sent himself on a new path that he's going to go on in season right. three. And also, I have a little full circle moment from the Charlie and Locke relationship, right? Where Locke happens to be chilling out on the beach as Charlie is doing this. And, you know, after the very tempestuous relationship they had 10 episodes ago and at least seems like Locke has like a modicum of respect in charlie yeah i think this. it's more like okay you didn't need me for that uh and maybe it is like even a sign to Locke of like um all right get get yourself back on track if charlie if charlie can mm -hmm. bootstrap himself back up then you can too um Right, because I think that oh no, Locke is Locke gets up rudely so from the funeral and leaves. Uh, well, this is not the it doesn't, he's still it doesn't go great when he's at funerals anyway. So, uh, not 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 the worst choice. <laughs> at least he doesn't have their blood on him. That would no, be Michael. He, he feels like he has their blood on him, but he doesn't literally have it on him. Um, back at the hatch. Okay, so this has to be the final Jack and Echo scene. I know we've said that a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this time, <laughs> this time, I, time I think it's got to be one. where he's like, "Hey, where the hell is Henry?" He's like, "I don't know." Uh, where's Locke? I also I don't know. Uh, so he says, all right, well, we're going to bury some people. Uh, we're going to bury your friends. Sunset. He's like, cool. Have fun. Not going. Um, Jack and Sawyer are going to be in the hatch. Jack and Sawyer are hanging around all episode long, pretty much. Yeah. They're palling about. Uh, palling about. And Sawyer's going to tell Jack about, uh, just how much he views, uh, Jack as a pal. Uh, let's listen in on this conversation with Jack and Sawyer. Just going to talk. What? Funeral. Who's going to talk? I'm sure Hurley will want to say something about Libby. I never even knew her last name. Man, let's see. It's Cortez. Cortez. Oh, there you go. I screwed her. What? It's how she got my gun. Anna. She jumped me. We got caught in a net. Why are you telling me this, Larry? This is a, <laughs> it's a weird scene. Uh, yeah, this is... I, well, let's, let's psychoanalyze Sawyer in this scene, right? Because that's essentially what this is, is. It's a really interesting moment from Sawyer that, honestly, we haven't seen since the days of Exodus Part 1. And it's interesting. You know, I think that... Um, obviously, this, this episode draws comparisons to Born to Run because that was, like, 
technically the penultimate episode episode of season one, but I feel like this draws more parallels to Exodus Part 1, which aired the week before the other two parts and sort of served like its own penultimate episode, because this is sort of like the sequel to that infamous scene between Sawyer and Jack in the jungle, where, you know, they say goodbye to each other and Sawyer opens up about his meeting with Christian Shepard. Here, Sawyer has his own moment of opening up to tell Jack, you're my, you're my best friend. And Jack's like, ooh, well, this is awkward because you're definitely not even in like my, uh, what was, what did Tom have on MySpace? Uh, top eight. Yeah, you're not in my top eight. Do you, do you think Tom Friendly has a top eight yeah, among the others? I would say so. Maybe Sawyer makes his top 15. Maybe I, yeah, 16. I think so. Maybe 16. Just, I think at this moment he's on the rise, right? Because, like, yes. He ended up, like, giving up his We played poker together. Well, that's the thing, though. It's because the Jack-Sawyer relationship has been very intriguing from the past several weeks between, like, the poker game or the other stuff. Like, he's been very antagonistic towards Jack. So I wonder what caused Sawyer to come clean to Jack right now. Like, is it because the whole con and net thing and having his gun stolen made him feel so, I don't know, emasculated that he feels like he needs to confide in somebody about it? Maybe. Could be. I think he's feeling. I think he's feeling upset. I think like he's uh, he's it, a nerve has been struck by the death of Anna Lucia for sure, and a, a simultaneous nerve that has been struck is him thinking that Jack and Kate are a thing. Uh, so like, right. So so here's my big question: She's gone. Who's the she? Hey, how about that? Could be could Kate. Be Kate. Could be Anna yeah, Lucia. Could be Kate. I don't know. I, I personally see yeah. it as Kate. I think, I think I that's think, good. I think, I think he, that's good. I think he, I mean, as much as we talk about the Sawyer and Lucia chemistry over the course of the season, I think that Kate is the one who has more emotional stakes into. And I think the, the far more devastating news to him than Anna Lucia is dead is that Kate has uh, apparently, according to him, slept with Jack. And I think that's something that does actually crush him. And so, again, it makes this much more interesting that not only does he choose to open up about that, but he chooses to open up about that to the guy that she, quote-unquote, slept with and broke his heart over. Yeah, Yeah, Sawyer's still good, and Sawyer still wants to be friends after all this, you know? Like, he still wants to be friends with Jack. Sawyer, Sawyer, Jack's the secret asshole, Joyer's the secret hero. Well, I wonder if it's also maybe like in this moment, again, if he is mad at Kate for what she may or may not have done, if it's like a bros before hoes type of thing, unfortunately, of like the screw Kate, uh, you know, she had my feelings and trampled on them. Like, but Jack, you're someone I know will like, I mean, we talked about this a couple episodes, right? Like Jack does not bullshit with Sawyer. Like he'll tell him to his face, like, hey, get this from me, do it now, like, or I'm threatening you. And Sawyer appreciates that to a certain extent. So despite the circumstances as to why he may be feeling remorse, I guess it, he could sort of be that person to confide into because Jack's one of the only person that will, like, give it to him back besides yeah. Kate. Uh, it's very sad stuff. Uh, it's like the opposite of the scene in Exodus Part 1. It's not the opposite, mm-hmm. but, like, it's like a sad version of that. Yeah, it really is where, like, Sawyer has the status and the power there. Here it almost seems like Jack has the power, or at least that Sawyer, like, supplicates himself into a more vulnerable position because he's coming, he's really opening up. He's coming out with his feelings about uh, life and friendship. Jack is there for it. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I guess, I don't know, had there been, again, that episode in between this and Let Together Die Alone, maybe Sawyer makes, like, a friendship bracelet for him and Jack or something. All right, uh... Uh, Michael's gonna come upon Hurley and Kate. They're digging the holes. And Kate, I think Kate's digging with like a pool skimmer. I don't or know something. what they've got. They work with what you got back there. At least it's not a boomerang stick. 
Um, Michael's going to say, all right, it's a plan. We're going tomorrow. Kate's like, okay, cool. And Hurley's like, okay, cool. I'm not going. And Michael's like, uh, Michael's not getting the answer he wants. He's like, what about revenge? You want revenge, don't you? And he's like, look, I'm sorry about what happened, uh, but I'm not going. I'm not going. And so at this point, Michael's like, oh, how am I going to get Hurley to go? Um, at this point, we then get a really extended flashback scene. This is three days ago. Three days ago, mm-hmm. which means, I think timeline-wise, that Michael hoofed it directly from Miss Clue to the hatch, right? Uh, based yeah. on how long it took for Michael to get from the hatch to Miss Clue in the first place, that was about two or three days. This is about, if this is three days ago, then we're taking like the full day of two for the road into account at this point. So, yeah, I would imagine so. Well, I, let's also remember that Michael, I guess... Yeah, because it took them, what, two days to get from where they were in the hunting party to arriving at the, the seaside village. So I think like, so. He, he ran. Like, that was genuine exhaustion when he when he collapses in yeah. front of Jack and Kate. Well, and just pure adrenaline, because also, you know, a week has passed at this point, and, like, they brought him some food, but you can imagine he's not getting a lot of no, rest he's while been, just tied so, up to a so pole So he's for been tied up to a tree in a jungle of mystery, to borrow a phrase from people, except there's not enough plants <laughs> around. It's He's inside. He's Unfortunately. In, Otherwise, he yeah. could have escaped. He could have asked his children to blend help him. Uh, he's... Wait, I love how Michael is slowly turning into Poison Ivy from Batman. Rubber lips uh, have no... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could have been how they got Michael was with the, ru- the old yeah, wax the old lips rubber lips routine. routine. Um, yeah, so Michael is... He's, he's tied up to a pole here. He's been here for a week at this point, a little bit over a week, I think. Um, th- like, they're bringing him food, but who knows what kind of food it is. He hasn't seen Walt. He hasn't heard hiding her hair from Walt. Miss Clue is saying, oh, yeah, Walt's alive. He's outside. He's outside right now, um, and Michael just doesn't doesn't buy it. I think that that timeline is really important to keep in mind. That this this whole scene mm-hmm. that's about to unfold is very, 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 very intense. Michael has been deprived for eight days now. He's been tied up for eight days. You have to assume. Um, maybe bathroom breaks. Maybe not. Maybe he's got a pail. Right? Yeah, there's just a bucket. we don't know. Um, but like eight days in that situation. I'm sure feels like eight years. Like, I feel like that, that, that must yep. be awful what he is enduring at this moment in time. Especially if Miss Clue is asking him the similar questions that he was asked the first day he arrived, which is, again, very similar to the deposition he received in one of the most emotionally crushing moments of his life. Like, see, he's experiencing PTSD on yes. top of that. There's also mounting frustration, the fact that apparently all she's doing is coming in, asking questions, and then right. leaving. Like, he has no idea what's going on. He's also, I think, very pessimistic at this point like i think he there's a very good chance he jumped to the worst case scenario that walt right. is dead and they're just like screwing with him uh but miss clue brings up that there's been a development since you came here michael and i guess my question is if we're looking at the timeline was the development you know ben getting captured or was the development something that happened after ben got captured you know we talked a lot about how oh did something happen that made ben realize like oh crap this is a more of an intense situation than i realized get me the the hell out of here uh and then from that perspective maybe this would then prong this clue to be like okay now we're gonna spur this along here's the list yeah it could be people. like if they've got access to the pearl or if they've got some way of like looking in on the swan it's like oh no he's been found out uh so we need to really kick this thing into overdrive because i do think timeline wise She's coming to Michael roughly around the time that um, Ben has been found out. I think that lines yeah. up. 
I yeah, I think Exodus li- or not Exodus, uh, Lockdown lines up with that. I or at least say. you know, like Dave is gonna be uh, is gonna be on there. Uh, you know, th- there, there's there's SOS too. Um, so that's like at least two full days uh, of action post Ben being discovered as not Henry Gale. Um, so the time the time lines up that Miss Clue is like, okay, he's been found out. We need to get him out urgently. Um, so they're lighting this fire under under Michael's butt. He's been sensory deprived. He's he, like you say, he's probably jumping to the to the worst case scenario. Probably feels like he's been here for a thousand years. Um, he's going through all sorts of heartache. And then she says, your son is here. I'm going to bring him in right now. And she calls for Pickett. And this is the scene. This is the alleged three minutes that only goes for a minute. You have three minutes. Wolf? Dad. Let him go. Let him go. Get your hands off him right now. Are you okay? Huh? Yeah. Did did they hurt you? They make me take tests. They make you what? We're not going to talk about that. How's Vincent? Vincent? He's great. He's great. He misses you. Hey, don't, don't, don't be scared, man. Don't be scared. It's going to be over real soon, okay? I'm going to get you out of here, okay? They're not who they say they are. Well, They're pretending. You want me to put you in the room again? Pretending? Pretending what? Okay, that's it. We're done. No, 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 no. no wait. Hey, wait, wait, wait. wait. Come here. Come here. Whoa. Wait, come here. Come here. Wait. I'm oh, sorry. Come here. Dad, help me. Help me, please. No. Don't leave me. Don't. I won't, man. I'm going to take you. I'm going to get you out of here, okay? I promise you, I will get you out of here, okay? Dad, Dad. Let him go. Whoa, wait. Let go of him. I love you. And we're we're sparing you the the subsequent like sobbing and hysterical crying that Michael does afterwards as the scene continues and he's just wrecked. So all of the things are in place for Michael that we had established before listening to that. And then that is the extent of Michael's interaction with his son since he was taken from the boat. And yeah, he's alive and yeah, he looks physically healthy enough, but he's dragged away once again saying, don't leave me, help me, save me. Don't leave me. Is this not a man who will do literally anything to save his son at this point in time? Yeah. Well, we're talking about PTSD I mean, this made my heart twinge, and it threw me back to when he's screaming, Dad, Dad, as he gets, you know, taken from the raft. You can imagine it's the exact same thing here, and it's another heart-wrenching event, where, yes, this is a a little bit less of a a guttural drop than it was when the others took Walt at that time, but still, like, it has to be so tough to see this guy that you have been caring so, so much for him and working tirelessly to get back for the past however much amount of time, and then to have him just, like, screaming that he loves him. Like, that was another thing that I guess was missing the first time, obviously, because of the the circumstances. But, like, that made my heart just completely drop into my pants, is just hearing him yell, I love you, I love you. Like, that has to renew any sort of vim and vigor that he had, to the point where when Miss Clue is going to ask him, like, you know, this is what you need to do, he's going to reply, whatever you want. And it's it's a simultaneous thing where... 
A, I think he's so beaten down at this point. He has been starved. He has been pretty much tortured. And now he saw his son and had it taken away again that he is just so spent. He's willing to do anything. But also he's sort of renewed at the same time where he's like, okay, he's alive. I know he's here. I'm and going they're giving to him, him an action now. plan to to some extent. They're yeah. not giving him a no, plan. <laughs> but that's and that's also I have a problem with that because here's the thing like because what we find out in season 3 the reason why they need these people or at least Jack is to essentially save Ben's life. If it was that important Miss Clue shouldn't be like, tell him anything. No, because that means he de- he might not bring the people, and that means Ben dies. Like, give them a story. That's going to work so much better than what Michael does. Yes, that's for sure. But it's effective. It works. You know, pick the nits if we need, but, like, it's going to work. Um, yeah, and I will I'll say, going back to our timeline stuff, just looking at Lostpedia. So, yes, uh, the 21st of November 2004 is when the events of lockdown happen, including Henry Gale being fight out as Ben Linus. The 22nd of November is apparently when Miss Clue meets with Michael, and we see this scene play out. So, yeah, it does seem like, indeed, the development she might be speaking about, more likely than not, is indeed Ben being yeah. found out. And that's why they had to sort of give the hurry up on it. But, yeah, I mean, I cannot speak highly enough of Harold Perrineau's performance in this episode. Like, as annoying as the Michael character might be in today uh, with his insistence, like, you see the reasoning here. And to see Michael just go to pieces over this substantiates at least why he did what he did. The follow-through might not be great, at least compared to some of our better liars, like a Sawyer, for instance. But you just see how emotionally spent he was from all this and how he has these blinders up of, I need to get my son back. Do whatever you want. Give me this note with four people in it. I promise you I'll do that because not only am I getting my son back, but we are getting the hell off this island and never seeing you for sure, again. For sure. Uh, and Harold, Harold Perrineau is tremendous throughout the entire episode, but this scene is devastating. Uh, yeah, it's it's and again, just shows how great of an actor he is, even if the character sometimes fails us at points. I, I do want to set you up here, Josh, because I know you, you wanted to say something about the room before. And we do have sort of a, an, an impromptu reference to room 23 in this clip. Yeah. So they're, they're going to talk about room 23, which is the uh, the like the hypnosis weirdo room on Hydra Island. Right. Yeah, the brainwashing room. We'll see that. We'll see it firsthand. With yeah. Carl so it's pretty season. clear to me that Michael, uh, not Michael, that Walt has been kept on Hydra Island, and it's going to take a little bit to get him from Hydra Island to uh, to this like dummy camp. Um, so that that all tracks for me. That all that all that all makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, I, I think just like the whole idea of like the content of what what Walt is saying to Michael, like they're making me take tests, they're making me do all this stuff. Do you want to put me back in the room? It just for me as a viewer, knowing like the room and seeing Carl in that room at one point in time and how it's just like designed to like screw with your brain um, makes me so sad for what Walt is yeah. going through and helps me empathetically get into a place where Michael is so desperate that he's going to make a horrible decision. Right, like, he doesn't even know. He thinks the room is, like, I don't know, like, go to your room. You know, just, like, stay in your room, but no. And, I mean, even more than than screwing with your brain, it's straight-up conditioning. Like, they purposely made it a reference to a Clockwork Orange, and I believe that Carl gets put in there to sort of, like, be brainwashed to not, you know, act out against the others. I could very much see a thing where, like, if Walt is not doing well with these quote-unquote tests, if he's being ornery, or if he's, like, pushing back against what the others are trying to do and explore his powers— that they're going to try to put him in there and essentially like lobotomize yeah. him until they get what he wants. And that is 
freaky, but like that is not outside Ben Linus's purview. No, for sure. So he wants the boat. He's gonna he's gonna get you all these people. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you every last name, Miss Clue. Uh, but I'm gonna want the boat. I'm gonna want the boat. So he's he's. I also I also love that uh, they wrote down James Ford, and he's like, "Who the hell is Who's that?" James Ford. Well, that's a. It was a really. It's a really clever way of. Uh, of like dragging out that mystery a little longer of what was that list he was burning and as soon as he says who is james yeah. ford and also but 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 also like i guess maybe michael is a bit depleted but like he doesn't need the yeah. list it's four names he knows these uh, people yeah so what if they found that list yeah. he knows hugo at this point yeah he knows yeah. hugo yeah he knows hugo because i think uh hurley i think i think he sort of has like come around on using him more at least with the manifest stuff i don't understand just why miss clue would sort of give him the notice of formality when if what if Saeed finds that note? You know that just proves to him like he did not have a pen and yeah. paper, like he could not have written this down. Clearly, someone uh, has instructed him to take these specific four. All right, people. so that's the deal with Michael. It's awful for me. Like you don't have to forgive him. You certainly do not have to take his side. You do not have to like justify Michael's actions. I think they're unjustifiable, mm-hmm. but they are deeply explained by what goes on here. And I think also when you contextualize it with a lot of the pain that Michael has felt in his life surrounding Walt, um, all of the different ways in which he wanted to be with Walt and it never worked, um, the ways that he feels like he's failed his son already. Um, it just builds you to this place where this guy could be willing to do what he did, but also that this is still a guy who's going to feel wretched about it. Um, you know, who's just yep. like, he's, he's literally wretched. You know, about he's it. been in, in many ways, he's just been damned. You know, it's like you've been damned. Pulling the trigger solidifies it. Um, but really, even if Anna gives him the gun, Miss Clue just gave him this gun, and uh, he feels like he has yeah. no choice but to shoot it. And sadly, there was probably another way around this. Uh, but given the grief, given everything that he's put through, given the, the deprivation, uh, I think it all adds up to the result that we get. So I think it tracks. I think it tracks in terms of the character. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it does as well. And also consider the timeline again. Like, he gets pushed back, falls, and then immediately after this, it goes into, like, the, you know, the the Anna and Libby stuff. And so I do imagine, like, if he had some time between the end of SOS and the events of Two for the Road, could he have formulated something else? But it really is, like, springboarding one event to another Yeah, you imagine they, like, they cut him loose from the thing, and he, ru- he starts running that night, <laughs> and he t- takes a whole day. He's running for a full day, and then another night, uh, and he winds up in front of Jack and Kate. Like, that's the timeline, basically. Um, that's not a lot of time to, like, really process what's happened. Uh, you know, he's already right. at breakneck pace at that point. So um, could he have come up with a better plan? For sure. Uh, did the time and circumstances uh, make it easier for him to make a very bad choice? I also think yes. Um, so we go to the funeral. Kate's comfort. Yeah, and I, I, well, I was going to say Kate's comforting Hurley. Uh, we'll not give her a point, I don't think. But Kate, like, very subtle MVP episode between, like, the dissuading the situation between Hurley and Michael, where they're arguing to, like, being Hurley's shoulder to cry on in this episode. Like, this is a pretty good episode for Kate as just, like, an emotional support. Though I am a little sad that, again, this is speaking towards the miscommunication between these characters that, like, it's weird that Michael came to Kate and was like, okay, did you hear, like, this is our plan? That, like, Jack wouldn't tell her right. directly, you know? Like, he knew where to find right, her. Right, right. Well, I think he's, it's like for his own anxiety brain at that point. It's like, you're all, you're in right. You're all in. Everyone's in. Everyone's cool. Um, so Kate's comforting Hurley. Sawyer's there too. Uh, he does not look happy. 
Locke is nearby, but he's not going. He's got other fish to fry. Uh, he feels at this point like, all right, you know what? It's my time to move on the hatch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, unravel this echo situation. So he's going to cut off his splint and start hobbling off into the jungle. Yeah, which is super, I mean, it's super symbolic because, like you said, he's going to end up striking against the island in Live Together, Die Alone, but he's doing so by, like, using something that the island gives him. We heard this in SOS, right, that Rose predicted this by telling Luck, like, yeah, you and I both know you're not going to be on these crutches for as long as Jack says yeah. that you were. And so he's basically fully healed. He's basically like, screw you, Island. Thanks for helping my leg heal. But now I'm going to, you know, try to cause the end of the world accidentally by not getting that. Uh, so Locke's going to hobble off. Uh, everybody is heading to the funeral, including Jack and Saeed, who are going to have a little conversation on the way. In the plane crash, I was... On my way to Los Angeles to bury my dad. I'm sorry to hear that. Seems like such a long time ago now. I was going to go right from the airport to the cemetery, but... I had no idea what I was going to say. Here we are again. I think Michael has been compromised. Let's keep walking, Jack. What do you mean, compromise? His actions are not those of a man who is telling the truth. Why would he lie to us? Because I believe a father would do anything for his son. Because I believe that Michael may have freed Henry. And because I believe he's leading you into a trap. You believe a lot, Saeed. And I also believe that Henry was one of them. No, he must continue to believe he's in control. Why the hell would we want to do that? So we can create an advantage. How? I don't know yet. Do we have one more night to figure that out? So they spend the full night uh, combing through the jungle, searching for a hidden advantage with which to blindside mm-hmm. Michael. Yes, but they make a fake advantage and think that Michael found it and was going to play it to right. the others. But Tom Friendly, Mr. Yeah. Alpert, uh, shakes his head in embarrassment Rose and throws it into, into the, the fire. fire. This this is one of Saeed's biggest gas queens. For sure, ever. for sure. We're like, sure. he's just on tops. the money about every single thing yes. that's happening. Yes, yes. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's like, all right, so Michael's been compromised. He freed Henry. He's leading you into a trap. Uh, and Jack's like, oh, really, Saeed? Well, you seem to know a lot. And he's like, yeah, I was the first to tell you that he was one of them. <laughs> yeah, I love that, too, of being like, hey, Jack, remember when you were wrong and I was right, and then you, you like, judge me for it? Well, I'm right about this, too. I'm two for Saeed's two, just baby. a badass. Just a total uh, badass, and he totally has it right. I'm trying... I'm trying to remember what these, like, secret trackers, because we know that, you know, Locke has only told a few people about his paralysis. How many people has Jack told about his father? I can't remember in that aforementioned Sawyer scene if he said that he was going to bury his no, father I don't, when he was coming I don't back think from L.A. So, you know, he didn't really need to. Uh, you know, Sawyer connected those dots, basically. Jack's told Kate. He told Kate about it. Um, I think that that might be it at this point. So that's, I mean, And that then there's the people who've, like, Saeed overheard, is- like, Anna overheard it. Yeah, so, but I think that says something that, you know, Saeed sort of being brought into this circle, that this is, uh, as the leader, I think Jack certainly presents a front, and this is uh, a sign of trust to him, of like, I'm going to open up about this. It's not as, like, a big moment uh, to show that he trusts him. It's more so, I think, Jack just sort of taking a step in their relationship of being like, I was going to talk at my dad's funeral, but I couldn't figure out anything. 
you know, this this is going to be a tough time as well. Uh, and I also love Saeed's, like, very spy movie-esque, like, keep walking, keep talking, don't let anybody see yeah. your lips move. You know, we don't want to tip our tip our hand anymore, which is why we're going to set up exactly what happens in Let Together Die Alone, where Plan B is going to, once again, be spouted from Saeed as he goes off with a couple people around the island and finds something completely All right, different. All right, so funeral time. Jack is going to give a eulogy for Anna. She was a police officer. Uh, it wasn't easy for her here. She did the best she could. She was a woman. And also, as much as Saeed is saying, play it cool, Jack, Jack not really doing so by staring directly at Michael after he sends they Anna can't off. Help himself. So he sends off Anna, and then uh, Hurley is going to give the Libby eulogy, which we should listen into, and it'll take us through the end of the episode, and then we'll talk through what's going on. Libby was, she was, she, Libby was a psychologist, or psychiatrist, one of those, either way she probably helped a lot of people. Help me. She was my friend. It's not fair that this happened to her. It's not. I'm going with you. Goodbye, have it uh one of the most uh one of the 20 most iconic endings <laughs> wow we've been rolling into those recently all right small quibble here with the final line i love son Sh- should this have been a gin line it sounds odd to me that son who can speak english just says one word boat like that feels like something more so that gin would do especially considering that he got into the english language through nautical, nautical terms. terms um it doesn't really matter to me. I, I, I really love the ending as it is. I love Sun having the moment. I think that the way Yunjin Kim delivers it is great and gives us like this really powerful moment of suspense for a week in the real time of being like, yo, what? What's going on? What? There's a boat here. What does that mean? Is it somebody else? Like, we have hot air balloons. We yeah, have boats. So lots, lots, yeah, we've got pallets dropping out of the sky. Lots of people coming to the island. Uh, right now, uh, so I, I, you know, you can you can tug on that if you want. Uh, for me, I I just think it's a great moment. Um, it within this, Claire is going to grab Charlie's hand, so the reconciliation <sighs> is beginning. 
Um, whatever. But yeah, okay. whatever. That's the thing. I, I, I am. I'm sorry, Claire. And look, I'm all for Claire and Charlie, and you know, it's clear that they're they're each other's constants in that regard. But I just, I don't know. He's 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 like not a week ago, probably was he trying to sure. drown your kid? Sure. And and I also and I feel like the maternity leave epilogue as well. This is not like in encounter to that, but I feel like the essence that I got from maternity leave was Claire being like. I'm going to protect you, Aaron, by myself. I was afraid to do this beforehand, but now I know no matter what I do, it's going to be to protect you. And I don't know. I feel like her reconciling with Charlie so soon after that happened just does not jut well in my brain um, with that. Uh, this this idea that, especially as a parent, of like inviting someone problematic yet well-seeming back into your life so quickly after that, and for no really discernible reason from a character perspective, other than what, you're sad that Libby and Anna Lucia are dead? It just, it's, it's a large leap for me, and it, it does not make me look at Claire in, a, in good regard. Yeah, I, in think it's, I think it's a little sloppily written, but uh, wh- what are you gonna do? Uh, I, I really love Jorge Garcia's performance here in delivering the Libby eulogy. Oh, he's great. I think it's incredible. He, he, yeah, he, he has one of the more underrated, better performances of the episode, between like the, the clip we heard before with that they're both dead, and then here with having to deliver the monologue, she probably helped a lot of people. She helped me. It was like so gutting. And, you know, you do wonder, like, okay, why does Hurley have to go here, I, go with Michael? I think it is an emotional reaction, much like Michael wanted from Hurley, especially when he says it's not fair this happened to her. It's not. I think he's seeking to, like, get some recompense on them, a pound for a pound, as it were. And that helps Michael because that's one yeah, off the one list. more off the list. And then we get a, a little tease of the return of Desmond. At the end, so yeah, with the with the Elizabeth, just as we bury Libby, we see another yeah, on the horizon. This is the boat that she enough. came uh, that she used to own, uh, where she buried. Yeah. And you can see a little bit, of, yeah, a little bit of Dave very, left over the bow. Dave in the bowels of the ship. All right, we'll get into the others and all your feedback in just a moment. But first, let's thank some friends of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Progressive. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact. Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or ad renters insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you can get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. So get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states. Provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations Mike Bloom. Wait, did you say five minutes or three minutes? Uh, I said, I, said th- I don't know. I don't know where I am anymore. Um, all right, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the others here. Let's go behind the scenes here. Uh, the Beechcraft Cliff. Uh, did I ask if the Beechcraft Cliff was a set, or did you ask that? No, I did. I asked whether or not it's a real, specifically if like the white vine wall was a natural piece of. Uh, Let's say furniture, if it was a piece of the landscape or if it was something constructed for the set. And I'm luckily we've had some follow up on this from last uh, week. Right. So it's it's a real location in the Waimea Valley at the other end of Oahu from Honolulu. Uh, it's not far from the iconic waterfall from whatever the case may be. 
uh, go easy on the word iconic in that context. Uh, so this is, uh, this is from Rob Perrin, who has um, some information uh, on uh, robperrin.blogspot.com. Uh, uh, we, will, we will link to that in our show notes. Um, let's get into the feedback. This is from Stefan Johnson. Stefan Johnson wants to know, how could Michael have gotten Ben out without killing Anna Lucia? Mike, we talked about the Captain Planet powers, uh, that he could have turned mm-hmm. everybody into plants and smuggled them out that way. Um, I didn't realize that was one of Captain Planet's uh, powers. Yeah, I don't know if that is or if that was just from a parody video or not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's just from a parody video. Turn into video. plants! Um, but what could he have seriously done? Uh, does he just have to like? So I, does he I, just have to own up to it? Does he have to trust in his people enough? Um, what's the move here? I mean, yeah. So I guess the, the the only hole in not killing Anna is that if he knocks her out, then she comes to and is like, "Michael knocked me out." Unless he does a thing like he just did with Locke, where he does the whole like, "Whoops, I dropped something." Knock her on the back of the head. Be like, "Oh, Anna slipped and bumped her head on the counter." She's done that twice in one week. What the hell's going on? I don't know how much suspicion Anna would have for Michael to begin with, because I think that, of all people, Anna would not suspect Michael of releasing Ben. I don't know. Maybe it's that's because of the mood that Anna was in at that point. I mean, she told Michael, like, yeah, go ahead and kill Ben. So I don't think she would necessarily think that he would be the first person to free him. Uh, Under the Meat Man, uh, Ander writes in, How does no one but Saeed become suspicious of the incredibly sketchy story pertaining to what happened in the hatch and Michael's follow-up plan? Wouldn't there be blood in the brig, too, that kind of went unaccounted for? Why on earth is anyone not questioning the notion that Michael wants Hurley to come on the mission? And in all honesty, why does Michael even feel the need to lie about all of this? How about he just tells Jack what happened from the start? Yeah, so, I mean, let's take that second point, because I do agree that I think that it's surprising that Saeed's the only person to doubt the story, but I think at the same time, I wonder how many people excuse Michael as, like, this is his son, you know, like Michael is in a very unique position right now in that he is the only parent on the island outside of son's child in utero. He has a sort of card he can play of like, you don't know what it's like to have a child and, you know, be sick for them every night and do everything to get them back. So he can sort of hold that above their heads. But Josh, talk to me about the situation. What if Michael does tell Jack, like, hey, I was approached by the others, told I need to bring you four people exactly to them. What, do they just say no to that? Because I feel like... They come up with some sort of of counter plan, but because the plan is going to fail to begin with and they do that in some sort of active way, it's very likely that the others do something terrible to Walt. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be a thing. But at the same time... Like, live together, die alone. Again, these people know that they're being set up for a trap, yet they still go. Well, you Jack know? So they could have Jack easily... Knows. The others don't. Yeah, but, but they're going to find out, and they're still going to go in the middle of the journey. They're not going to turn back and go home. So I do wonder, like, what the trouble is in just telling them ahead of time. It just gives them a bit more preparation as to, okay, let's sort of plan something to happen. You know, Michael wasn't necessarily told, like, hey bring these people but you can't tell them anything that happened because i don't want to spoil the surprise and also because the writers don't necessarily know what they're needed for yet so i I do wonder like if coming clean to jack in this moment it could also be a way to sort of absolve that guilt though i think we've also spoken about how michael understandably has this attitude of just keep driving forward and once you get to walt it would have hopefully all been uh this is from lindy steiner i think this is great uh lindy says i really feel for michael of the past because he's put in this terrible position of having to do everything the others say if he wants to see walt again because they have complete control over the situation but i don't feel bad for michael in the present because of the terrible things he did it's a weird disconnect i think that's the thing with michael dawson as a character 
is there is this strange disconnect because we have history with him and we can feel for him. And I think that the episode does a really great job of establishing why he uh, like uh, of like showing us like the extent of what he's going through. And yet, like, he he just killed two people. So who are you feeling bad for? Um, and, like, yet you kind of, like, some of us, anyway, I can't help but feel, like, bad for him. So it's, it, it is this strange thing where you find yourself, like, working yourself into knots trying to, you know, come up with, I don't know, rationale or just, like, feeling horrible about everything that's going on with Michael. I think Lindy really hits the vein of that. Yeah, and but this is comparable to me than to some of the other flashbacks we've experienced with these characters. You know, like Sawyer, for example, has killed a man before, but we have similarly felt like this weird twinge for him because we know what he's motivated by and how the remorse that he feels for it. Kate burned a man alive in his house, but she had her reasons behind it. That's the beauty of Lost, in my opinion, is that you do have characters who do abhorrent things on paper, immoral things. But everything is in gray, and everything has a motivation to it. And to that, I say Michael now sort of joins that that gallery of people who do bad things, but maybe for yeah, the right reasons. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough stuff. Uh, this is great from yeah. John Krause. Put that theatrical glue down, bro. John writes, why are the others pretending to be cavemen? What are they getting out of it other than shits and gigs? Oh, well, I hope they're getting gigs because they're acting their hell out of it. Uh, the other's camp, it's so full of people. It's got to suck when you hear that you have to leave your air-conditioned house for a few days on assignment just to trick one hapless dude from a plane crash. And this is a good point because we know that Ben can be spiteful with his assignments, right? Like, he is the worst guy to have in charge of the chore wheel because if he doesn't like you, you're going to be on manure duty. Do we think that these people in Ben's absence, are they like the bottom rung of the others? Are these the top tier people? Like, it's clear he has a lot of faith in people like Miss Clue and Tom Friendly. But are these the entry-level positions that are now sort of given the intern's work of like, yeah, you know, being in, being another is great, but when you enter, you do have to do some grunt work, like dress up like caveman and go to this place on the seashore mm-hmm. occasionally. <laughs> it's tough. It's, yeah, it's, def- it's definitely, uh, uh, you're, you're working your way up the, the, the ranks. Uh, by having to be stuck here. Caitlin Ash writes in, uh, So, where the hell was Bernard during the funeral? There were two survivor t- surviving tailies, and neither of them showed up for the tailie funeral. I think that's fair. We know what Echo is up to. Uh, he's trying to save the world. Yeah. But where's Bernard? What's Bernard's excuse? Well, we know that I think Bernard just had a lot of uh, sensitivity because he knows if he went to the funeral... All we could hear would not be the beautiful eulogy from Hurley, but yeah. this. Excuse me, could someone please stop meowing? I'm trying to get to this funeral. Is someone meowing right now? No, 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 no. I don't know. We we have not seen Bernard since him and Rose apparently went off in the jungle with a bottle of wine. So for all we know, that sex tent could be rocking for like <laughs> oh, days on end. Yeah, yeah. Stuff's happening. Stuff's happening. All right. Let's uh, take some questions about, huh? About question mark. Uh, this is from Eric Divestein, uh, who says, I disagree. With the presented theory that the pearl may be what it claims to be. I believe that was my take. Uh, If it were, and the stack of unread notebook tubes had only accumulated since the purge, 
then that would mean the pearl workers had survived for years after the purge, which doesn't make sense to me because they only do eight-hour shifts. They don't live there. Likely, the pearl workers died in the purge, or if they survived, they would have no reason to continue their work because they would know Dharma is gone as soon as their shift ended, which leads me to the conclusion that even before the purge, no one was reading or collecting those notebooks, so the pearl workers are the rats in the maze with no cheese. Ben Martell has a counterpoint to that and says, well, maybe Ben Linus' favorite hobby is to just go shove notebooks into pneumatic tubes. Ben is truly an, an agent of Yeah, chaos, but that makes some that sense That feels to me. like... I don't know. I feel like he's, a, he's an instrument of measure. I mean, chaos, if you, you know? are on an island and you've got access to pneumatic tubes, are you not screwing around with the pneumatic tubes sometimes? Yeah, but I don't know if you're putting I don't a notebook know. I mean, in there. You've maybe, got like a ton of maybe, marble maybe, notebooks maybe, that you could just like roll up and shove into the pneumatic tube. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you put like your, I mean, you, first of all, you definitely put why, your arm oh, up there and that's not this? good. Alternate. Um, why do you think Ben has it out for Carl so much? It's because Carl and Alex keep sneaking away to the Pearl Ooh, Station, yeah. shoving marble notebooks into the pneumatic tubes. And Ben's like, this I like that. kid keeps playing with my pneumatic tubes. Yeah, it's their way of screwing with them. And they had to, like, clean it out last time after Carl shoved a bunch of apples yeah. in there and it, like, clogged up the pneumatic yeah. tubes. Uh, I also wonder if we ever find, like, a one-armed other, you better believe that they lost their arm because they put it yeah, up the pneumatic Yeah, do you think Montan's tube. arm was shoved into the pneumatic tube? <laughs> yeah the smoky uh, showed up like took the form of somebody went into the pneumatic tube and put montan's yeah, arm in i there. hope that we don't forget to keep saying the word pneumatic tubes as we go deeper into <laughs> down the hatch this feels like something that could definitely disappear and i don't want it to be sucked into the proverbial pneumatic tube uh and dumped out no, into like so. a field of uh missed pneumatic tube reference opportunities I don't think so. I think when, maybe when we say if we're like if we do away with a storyline or like do away with a theory in we're the pneumatic, in a pneumatic tube, tube and it. sending it off into the field. It's, it's um, nowhere, all right, yeah. this is from Ryan Stanley. Ryan says, "What do you think would have happened if instead of Boone climbing into the plane and dying, he and Locke found the Pearl Station? And then having found out about the Swan Station yet, how would they react to this? And how would they react to seeing Desmond chilling in the hatch?" Uh, would they connect the dots that he's inside the hatch that they've been trying to open? Um, great question, and hopefully Desmond's just chilling in the hatch. There's a lot of other things that could be going on down there. Well, we're thinking, though, you know, when when a deus ex machina happens is when Desmond's at his low, right? Because that night is going to be Locke begging on the hatch door and Desmond shining the light his way. So it's going to be, you know, a pretty big night for him, and he's definitely at his lowest. So they just be watching, like, some guy slumming it. But as we remember, Hurley was the only person to accurately predict that there was like an actual living room down there. So I could honestly see them being like, wow, they're watching over some subjects. I don't think this is on the island somewhere. I could very much see them not realize that that's actually in the place they're looking to Music get analysis from Jim Fells. Your analysis, Mike Bloom. My analysis of Jim's analysis. Ooh, there's just so much going on. Uh, Jim theorizes that three minutes and live together die alone serves as a turning point for lost mm. music from michael giacchino uh where basically things become more action oriented and louder and brassier instead of a little more like contemplative and stringy perhaps to symbolize the fact that you know especially with season three it's going to become more of a war and maybe less of like a quiet character study but there's a lot of stuff that comes up here. So we were talking about the Michael typing scene. There's a couple things about this uh, besides Michael's typing skills or lack thereof. First is, 
As Michael's typing, there are two motifs that play together. One is the main theme used to symbolize 815. And then there is a Ben motif that is going to be one of his foundational motifs. Uh, it's really going to be used initially to represent the others, but then it's going to really become like a part of Ben to the point where when he has that infamous scene in the end with John about not wanting to enter the church, that like a very soft version of that plays instead of what we get here. But it's a great symbol of like the duality that Michael's undergoing yeah. at this point of who do I support? But that scene also produces what Jim Fells calls an urgency motif. Uh, where we hear this a bunch of times, especially in finales. For example, when uh, we find the bomb on the freighter and there's no place like home, when the Ajira flight touches down at the landing strip in Namaste, uh, a couple of times in the incident between transporting Saeed in the Dharma van and poor Juliet getting dragged down by the chain and into the pit, uh, is, is that all sort of accompanies it. So I think we basically have a new musical motif that says people are in trouble, they need to get the uh, I like that. I would love for that to be an official terminology uh in the show yeah, yeah to get, get the, the f, f out, out song. song all right well let's get the f into some mvp lvp scores <laughs> uh we're getting into the 23 points mike you've got three mvps i've got two i've got three lvps you got two kick us off uh where are we going here with these mvps i mean we gotta start with Saeed yeah i'll just here. back you up i'm giving Sa- a Saeed mvp point yeah. as well I think in an episode where an understandable amount of characters either lack judgment or just not talking with one another, Said is the connector. Like, he's the one who sees through all of this. He brings Jack in on this plan. And as one of the people who vocally sees through Michael's BS, like, you gotta give it to him here because he's in the right this entire episode. He got it. He he solved the crime. He figured it out. He figured it out in a handshake. And, 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 like... Yeah, and in like a one-minute yeah. interaction, he figured it out. Though that also ties into the second person I'm going to give him MVP P point to, who might have similarly done so. I'm going to give it to Echo, purely due to the fact that someone needs to keep pressing the button because everyone was stripping their duty. Had yeah. Echo not, yeah, had Echo not been down there, they would have faced a live together, die alone situation much sooner rather than later. So I'm giving it to Echo here for going through to his duty and doing like it with that. a smile. Um, I'll give my second MVP point to Miss Clue. Um, for the reasons I outlined earlier. She's just very, very effective at doing a very mean thing. Uh, she just, like, is very effective in warping Michael's mind. Um, it's not good, and it's bad, but I think it's worth an MVP point. And she'll then be wiped off the board at some point in Season 3 yeah. when she gets killed. Yeah, rare opportunities to give yep. Miss Clue a point. Uh, but I'm going to give a point on a similar note with the others to Tom Friendly, because of Great his aim. throwing arm. Great aim. It's so freaking good. And I was very close to giving a point to Vincent for being the one to help guide Charlie. But alas, Vincent still eludes us in the MVP. Yeah, LVP that's crazy. Uh, we'll just have to give him all of our MVP points in the finale. No one else gets one. Um, all right, LVP. I'm talking serious finale, of course. LVPs. Uh, mm. Let's just continue with the others. Uh, we gave two others MVP points. Let me take one away from Pickett. I hate him. I hate yeah, him. And- and much like Clue, that this will be another beginning of like a not a beautiful story, but we'll be seeing Pickett many with, more times. I think with Miss Clue, we are very likely uh, going to uh, give her an LVP point for dying and enter seven seven, and that's it. Um, with Pickett, I think this is the start of uh, a guy who's going to wind up in the red. This guy's going to get a bunch of negative well, yeah. dings over the course of the next several episodes. And and even in this episode, it's not about him being an asshole. It's that he was got caught literally with his fly down. Like, how do you do that? Like, Mike, like, imagine was not creating 
like being so surreptitious that you wouldn't be able to hear him. He he got caught flat footed here. Not, a, not good a good sign. sign. At all. all right, uh, I'm going to give. I'm going to dock a point for Michael here. Look, it says nothing about Harold Perrineau's performance, who I think was absolutely outstanding in this episode, especially in sound number six that we played. But the fact of the matter is, he is leading them into a trap, and he's not doing a great job uh, keeping all of his yeah. stories straight or getting everyone yeah. on the same page. Like, I, I gotta I dock him for I his know. I know. I was very close to giving him an MVP point, because Harold Perrineau is so good in this episode. But I cannot... I cannot get in the way of this. I cannot negate your actions, just as we cannot forget Michael's actions. Understandable, though they may be, explainable as they may be. They are not justifiable. They are not good. Uh, And I can't even give him, like, props for being very good at doing something very bad, because he's doing a very bad job about lying to everybody. Um, With that being Mm -hmm. said, I will give an LVP point to Dr. Jack. I'll dock Jack, uh, because... Mm -hmm. He should not be signing on to any mission based solely on, okay, Michael doesn't want Saeed to go, so Saeed doesn't go. Interrogate that a little bit, Jack. It's Saeed. You want Saeed's participation in this. Raise your eyebrows a little, dude. Right now, they're firmly planted. That was bad. That was bad. I think that's bad of Dr. Jack. I uh, spent a lot of air talking about why I, I'm not a fan of her in this episode, but I, I, as much as I hate it, I got to give an LVP point to Claire just because, I, and maybe it's more so a doc on the writers for really speeding up this Charlie Claire storyline to have it fit into the finale, but it just it just seems like a rush choice, and I'm not. Uh, a fan I'll of give that. my final LVP point to heroin. Woo! Ah, see, you laughed before when I well, you established it. You established it, but heroin dies in this episode. So uh, much as I give (laughs) LVP points to characters that die, heroin dies. There's no more heroin on the island. So yes, luckily enough. So yeah, I guess that I don't know. Heroin's gonna and heroin ends up coming in at negative five. Yeah, heroin negative five. Still not the bottom ranked of uh, of season two. That's still Charlie currently with negative six. Jason McCormick, (laughs) stupid Jason McCormick, at a negative six. Uh, and heroin has just tied with Wayne uh, with negative five. So um, uh, heroin and Wayne are in a three-way tie, are in a two-way tie for third place in the LVP category. Going into the finale, Mr. Echo, with the point from you, uh, rises to 15 points total over the course of season two oh. so far. And Saeed goes from 10 to 12 with your MVP point and my MVP point. So it's it's tight. And I, I can imagine the yeah. scenario where Saeed scores some MVP points next week and Echo could score an LVP for basically blowing himself up. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. This act- this is a it's a it's a tight race at the end here. It's it's an it's a nail biter, surprisingly so from when we said halfway through the season of like, oh, you know, when we were introducing the tailies and Echo kept getting points back to back to back, we're like, oh yeah, this is definitely Echo's. But I mean mid season he like disappears yeah. for a little bit and Saeed really comes up to his place. So yeah, it became a bit of a horse race. Unfortunately, not a horse race for the woman who saw a horse once upon a time. One of our other MVP contenders from season one, Kate, has really Dropped stalled off. in season two. And you know, we're going to have a feedback show in a couple of weeks. And that's actually one thing that I would love to hit upon is what they did with Kate in this season and how it contrasts so much from yeah, season just one. The, the leaderboard as it stands through this episode. So from the jump to this episode, Saeed has a commanding lead uh, of 21 points. 
Then Echo is in second place with 15 right now. Jack overall at 12. Hurley is in fourth with 11. And Kate, who had been the leader for so much of season one, is at 10 points. So that's our top five baby. Uh, and the next closest are the Quans at 7.5 apiece. Uh, so that's where we're standing. Let's see how the finale impacts it. I'm interested. Uh, I think Desmond's sure to score some points. John Locke, uh, mm-hmm. who is already uh, not on great footing, both in the story and on our <laughs> leaderboard. Uh, he's at two points overall uh, in the in the, in the the full Ooh, thing. There's a good chance he at least evens I th- I out, he, depending I on how charitable I think he could zero out in season two, for sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see if he's able to pick that up. Which I, th- which I think is actually very... I don't know. I don't want to set it up already, because we haven't rewatched the episode, but I think that would be very indicative of Locke in season two, right? Where yep. like, he does a lot of good, and he yep, does a lot of bad. I think it would fit. Um... All right, uh, let's go and talk about the 4.2 stars, the episode rankings here. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick, great friend of the podcast, handles the socials on post-show recaps, thinks that three minutes might be the best penultimate episode of Lost. Mike and I disagree. I think you and I are united in our thought that Greatest Hits is the best penultimate episode Mm -hmm. of Lost. And then I think you and I probably diverge in thinking, um, I think three minutes is probably the second best. Um, you are, I think, lower on this episode than I am. Yes. So I'll, I'll give my rating first because it is it is the lower one. So I'll, I'll be the main criticizer here because, well, I do agree. I think the, the Michael Walt scene is heartbreaking. I think the flashbacks overall outside of that scene are fine. I think especially knowing in retrospect the front that the others are putting up, it's not terribly interesting to see the Rashomon of it all. We sort of spoke about how seeing the other sides of the events of the hunting party really isn't a, you know, this this happened, what, 11 episodes ago. Like, I don't know how much mystery is worth relitigating. Personally, I just feel like there were, like, a few good scenes in this episode, and everything else was fine to not very good. Uh, I, I just thought that, you know, it was not exactly an enjoyable episode to watch, where it felt like we were sort of seeing the same stuff happen again. Characters were making some frustrating choices that, while understandable, were not exactly uh, enjoyable to watch, even compared to an episode like Born to Run, where that's very similar, where characters do frustrating things, and we de- we went down on it understandably. That being said, I'm not nearly as down on this as I am on Born to Run. Born to Run, I think I gave like a 2.4. This is at least a 3 to me. And I was sort of comparing other episodes that I liked around the range of it. So I was looking at sort of like the whole truth and maternity leave and everybody hates Hugo. Uh, And so I ended up going with a 3.2 for this, where I think it's below the level of a pretty good episode of Lost, but there's enough enjoyable stuff in it that we have sort of litigated to make it an interesting way to go into the finale, if not outright a Yeah, great I one. think this is a great episode of Lost. Uh, I think Harold Perrineau delivers an incredible performance. I think that that scene with him and Walt is so brutal um, and does so much work in getting you to the place where Michael is emotionally and mentally. I think, like, watching Michael reconcile with what he's done or attempt to um, is just... it's it's. It's brutal. I think a lot of it depends on your connection to that character. And I feel very connected to that character because I feel very connected to the actor. Um, So I think that that helps it. But I think outside of that, you've got some next-level Saeed Jarrah moments. Um, You've got a next-level Mr. Echo story when he talks about the the, the boy and and the dog who's waiting for him in hell. It's just awful to consider. Uh, You get an incredible Jorge Garcia performance. 
Um, you get a really powerful scene, and certainly one that's very powerful for me, in, um, in Charlie throwing the heroin away. Um, so I think that there is a lot that's great here, and it fills the episode and the, the, the final run-up to the finale with such a sense of urgency that Born to Run did not do. Uh, and I don't know that the other penultimate episodes will accomplish to this level. I'm, I'm very open to having my mind changed mm. uh, with, with the penultimate. Yeah, well I, well, I think the thing is, and I think the point that Fitzy was making in his initial point was like, everyone has a moment. No, I would disagree. I would say that everyone has a moment, but they're not necessarily good moments. But I do feel like this is still the point when Loss is embracing its ensemble, right? And so they wanted each character to sort of have its moment in the episode. I think from here on out, what the show is going to figure out is, okay, we're going to concentrate our penultimate episodes on a few characters instead of here's a big group getting itself united around the events of the finale. So I think that the scope of what three minutes aims for will not be met in any other. Um, so episodes. I gave three minutes a 3.8. Uh, last week I gave, huh? A 3.7. And I said that I'm really just following the lead of the numbers there. And I probably feel higher about question mark than an actual 3.7. I think that I feel about the same about question mark in three minutes. Uh, I think in, in if, if I were to give my actual score for question mark, it would probably be a 3.8. So I'll give you my actual score for three minutes because I think that those two episodes hand in hand work really well to set us up for Live Together, Die Alone. So I'm a 3.8. Mike's a 3.2. The audience uh, is smack dab in the middle between us uh, with a 3.5. Uh, so between the 3.8 from me, the 3.2 from Mike, and the 3.5 from the audience, that gives us a 3.49. And three minutes is top 12. 12th best episode. Just behind the hunting party, I think, uh, ironically enough. Uh, so that, that works yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, it's literally behind the scenes of the hunting party. But yeah, I mean, I think our, uh, our spectrum of opinions, I think, is represented in the ratings as well. I think most of them sort of range from where we sort of ended up from like the low to yep. high threes. I, I've seen like a four, a 4.1, and I've seen as low as like a 2.9 as well. So yeah, again, like as much as I might nitpick this episode, I still don't think it's it's bad of an episode as like Dave or God help us, Fire Plus Water or Adrift. But it left me personally wanting a little bit. But again, Lost uh, has so many different takeaways from things. So that being said, I'm I'm intrigued to see where we're going next week. Because uh, I know that we are going into Live Together, Die Alone, which, as I said before, is personally my least favorite finale. But that being said, I, I would say I'm not probably not going to give it a 4.2. But it might All right, be a well, similar We'll find one, out. We'll know? find out. So Live Together, Die Alone, supersized episode, two-hour episode, Oh, my God. We've been doing so well. Keeping these around two and a half hours. Are we going to be able to do it next week? I think maybe a, a, a leaner no. feedback section is probably what we're thinking, especially because well, we will have a full season two feedback show that will follow Live Together, Die Alone as we take our usual break in between seasons to kind of just like stop down, assess where we are before we cruise on ahead to season three. So next week is going to be our last episode recap for a couple of weeks. Uh, so get that feedback in. Get it in by the morning of July 1st. This episode is dropping on July 3rd. Uh, fireworks uh, from the from the hatch. The hatch is going to explode. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, don't get too near those fireworks or you'll get a lot of crazy lot. stuff happening. But yeah, I, I cannot believe it, Josh. I mean, listen, 2020 has been a handful and then some. And I remember when we were talking with Jack from Crazy Hank TV when we did our season two, uh, when we did Live Together Die Alone recap, it's like, oh, we'll get to this in july 
And so much has happened in the world and in this podcast that it feels a bit surreal to actually get to the end of season two after everything that has happened, both in the world of Lost and in the yeah, world. We're continuing on. You know, I really thought that I was probably we were going to do like four episodes of the podcast. And then like I as often happens, I'd be like, yeah, what's that shiny thing over there? Uh, but no, we're still here. We're still here. And I don't think we're going anywhere unless the world has other plans for us. <laughs> so knock on wood, knock on wood that it doesn't. All right. So get that feedback in de- down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews kindly appreciated. Mike Bloom, what do you got going on outside of all this? We're trying to figure out a tattoo that I'm getting. Uh, we're next week, I believe, is, is when we are having the selection process. So it'll be a finale in many ways, or I guess the premiere in that regards in my new survivor-based tattoo. But spoiler alert for those that have now listened, a Lost-themed tattoo is in the mix for the possible tattoos. There might be a link to this podcast yet. And speaking of new adventures, Josh Wiggler, I know that you have begun on one that lets you pull out your own inner Saeed Jaron, figuring out who is pulling off. Okay, so here's what's up. So Mike and I are part of uh, the the Top Chef judges table over at Reality TV Rehap Ups. Uh, Top Chef just wrapped up, rehapped up its uh, most recent season. Uh, that crew, we are trying to figure out a way to, to keep the podcast fun going. So we are going to skip this week, but we will have a podcast over at Reality TV Rehap Ups for you next week. Um, talking about not just the future of Top Chef, but the future of that podcast. We want to keep going. Um, but I am active over at Reality TV Rehap Ups right now, as I have just <laughs> embarked on Mole Patrol, which is a a, uh, a throwback podcast, season one of The Mole, with myself, Jessica Leese, and Brooklyn Zed. Brooklyn Zed, big, uh, prolific listener of Lost Down the Hatch. And the reason we are doing this mole podcast they were in my mentions relentlessly over the last several months uh saying hey you got to watch the mole hey you got to watch the mole hey you got to watch the mole and i'd already wanted to watch the mole things being what they are feels like a good time to 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 go back and revisit some throwback television or in my case visit for the first time because i've never watched the mole (laughs) i know nothing do not spoil me i swear do not spoil me i will virtually noogie you so hard i will i will cut you out you will be gone oh what's what's the emoji for a noogie is it like a fist emoji i think that's it that could be confused as punching you in the head and i don't want to do that just a (laughs) noogie um but no no good do not spoil me on anything with the mole um but if you have uh if you have watched the mole or if you've never watched the mole great opportunity to get in on the fun we already have our preview of season one that podcast is available over at reality tv rehab ups and it's a fun show i think it's going to be a really fun ride i had such a good time doing the first episode uh and we are going to be doing that every week that's going to be dropping i think we're aiming for wednesday mornings uh every week we're going to have a different episode recap and it's fully spoiler free uh and probably provocative and suggestive for those of you who know what is actually happening on the show if you are rewatching it. So check out that podcast here on Poster Recaps. We got more going on as well. Kevin Mahadeo and I are nearing the end of phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wow. Over at Everything is Super. Uh, our rewatch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe continues this week with Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, so that's coming your way this weekend. Um, and beyond that, AJ Mass and I have some light podcasting about dark a very heavy show over on netflix the final season is dropping this weekend and sometime next week aj and i are going to be getting together to do a full binge podcast about the final season of dark uh so keep an ear out for that 
Also keep an ear out by continuing on with this podcast. You're going to listen at the very end of this thing to a teaser for Prime Video Presents. It's that podcast from Amazon. We will be back next week with our recap of Live Together, Die Alone, the season two finale of Lost. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Welcome to Prime Video Presents, the first ever podcast series from Amazon Prime Video. My name is Tim Cash, and I'm proud to admit that I'm a massive TV fan. And if you're listening to this podcast, then like me, you're probably a massive TV fan as well. And if you're not, stick around because we've got some incredible interviews coming up. Lucky for me, I've built an entire career around talking about television, so I get to watch a lot of it. Seriously, name a show, season, even an episode, and I've probably seen it, researched it, and interviewed the cast. On this podcast, I'm pulling back the curtain on some of your favorite Amazon originals and uncovering the stories behind your favorite stories. Each episode, I'll sit down with the cast and creators from shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Transparent, and The Boys, and ask about all the important pieces that go into making TV's greatest moments. Those moments between action and cut, they are this crucible for utter joy, utter surprise. I always wanted people to feel a little bit off kilter from that moment forward. And so I wanted to declare the rule, you know, that there really are no rules in this show. It was one of those things you can either fail big or you succeed big, but there's no middle road. Join me beginning June 22nd for what is sure to be any TV lover's favorite new podcast, Prime Video Presents. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You are so much dope.